Okay, so the movie goes like this. The biggest drug cartels in the world get together and buy up all the media and all the politicians and force all the people in the world to stay locked in their homes and people can only come out if they take the cartel's drugs and keep taking them over and over. I threw the script away. I mean, who is gonna believe that crazy idea? <laughs> Being forced to do drugs? Okay, people, let's begin. Lift off! We have lift off! Hello, everybody! Are you ready to be baited with the truth? Good, because you're listening to the Truth Bait Podcast, episode three. Episode it's February 28th, three. episode three, February 28th, 2023. I'm Andrew Marcus. I'm Jeremy and as Siegel. you heard, I see you got to let me introduce you. We should have warmed up. Well, I'm just going to, I kept you on the line for 20 minutes to warm you up. And now you're so warmed up, you're stepping all over your introduction. I know, I've been waiting for you to get ready. <laughs> I'm Andrew Marcus. And with me always, as we deconstruct America's propaganda war and reconstruct America's cultural narrative, is documentary filmmaker and media critic, the one and only rebel pundit, Jeremy Siegel. I am Jeremy Siegel, and I am with Andrew Marcus, Mr. Marcus. Thank you very much. I'll give myself applause. I was going to give you applause, but I didn't have it ready, so I'll, I'll drop it in in post, I promise. Well, that's okay. Everyone outside listening was applauding, so it's fine. I want to ask you how your weekend was, but Jeremy, we have such a huge show filled with so much content. I'm not sure I even have time for the niceties. So many how was things, your weekend? So many things happened. I could go on and on for hours about it. <laughs> so many things happening uh, down on the farm. Yeah, yeah. There's plenty of exciting. How about you? What? Uh, how is your? How's your day going today? My day is going fantastic. Nobody wants to hear about my day, Jeremy. Everybody wants to hear about well arizona i think things are going crazy in arizona and i know you're following it a little bit what what's the story in arizona i jeremy we have a we have a a high percentage of our audience is actually located in arizona and they were sending me this story each each and every one of them uh took their own time to send me this story in a different version of this story uh and you've been on it what what have you got well, you're talking, you've got the clip, right, for that story? No. You told me you had the clip for that story. <laughs> I told you it's not prepped on my end. This was your story today. I have the other eight stories, Jeremy. You <laughs> told me that you had the Sergeant Media clip. Well, I can pull it up if you want me to. Hang on. Here we go. I just don't have it. I don't. I have it, but I don't have it prepped because I thought you were prepping this oh, clip. Do you man. want me to just, just, you want me just start playing it? Here, just I'm going to start play playing it. Because we don't need to hear the whole thing. Okay. 
Friends, breaking news to share. Explosive testimony today at the Senate Elections explosive. and House Oversight Committee hearings in Arizona. I love that it's explosive. Get ready, everybody. <laughs> Devastating testimony from Jacqueline Berger regarding stolen elections in Maricopa County since 2004. Bribed judges, cops, and government officials beholden to the Sinaloa cartel and run back election services along with Governor Katie Hobbs, are named specifically as using deeds of trust as a means of untraceable bribes, along with $13 million in cash and more than 100,000 ballots in two unmarked rental vans. I've provided two blockbuster clips from the more than 40 minutes of blockbuster testimony about this. It's a blockbuster within a blockbuster. (laughs) Blockbuster, blockbuster, blockbuster. This is coming from Sergeant Report. Never heard of it. SGT Report. I never never heard of it. This was what was sent to me from our Arizona peeps. Systemic and total corruption in Arizona. Well, I think this was what started making the rounds. This started uh, all of a sudden was everywhere. Yep. Listen. Beginning in 2017, the accents points have been used to change vote totals and thereon election results. Illegal transfers have been made and provided to Runback and Jeff Ellison. The phony deeds used in the scheme to move money to candidates are created by Brittany. For-profit and non-profit PACs are also created by Brittany and used to move money for candidates. During the 22 election, ballot scanners, printers at 70 70 precincts suffered changes to their printer settings, despite being tested the night before the election. The changes in those settings were made through computer infiltration, not manually or by some never-before-seen error. The uncontrollable ballots were placed in box three and allegedly driven to run back. Witness information provided on October 2020 confirms that more than 100,000 filled-in ballots and more than $13 million were identified by some of our investigators in two unmarked rental cars. Wait, they had thirteen million dollars in a re- in an unmarked rental car. Evidently. <laughs> Evidently. Okay, wait. <laughs> this is, we must be talking about an SUV. Yeah. This sounds too good to be true. I. Well, I that's think, what you were saying. I was. I, I'm going to tell you, Jeremy. I was excited about it when I first heard it. I. I. I thought well, the. This is pretty. This is some crazy stuff. No, What's the response we, fin- be? we finally got them. We finally got Arizona. This is it. This is the one that's going to turn over the election and put Carrie Lake in office and put Katie Hobbs in jail, right? I don't think uh, so. And this is what you told me yesterday. And I thought to myself, oh, no. Jeremy's going to ruin it for everybody. Right? Because <laughs> everyone's, you were everyone's me, excited. Because you were sending me this story like an excited little kid. Like, look, we got him. We got him. Okay. So now you want to attack me no, personally. No, I'm just kidding. He didn't do that. He just thought it was going to be a good story to talk about today. And, no, I, and I'll I, tell did, you what, I did fall for but it. But I'm going to tell I you did. what. I initially saw it also because somebody sent it to me in Wisconsin. And they thought maybe the same thing is happening in Wisconsin. You know? And it, oh, interesting. It's a really, you know, to, but as I... As I looked at it for, it didn't take me long, and I looked at it for a few minutes, and I just kind of started to think, huh, this is sort of reminding me of stories around 
the Trump election, when, you know, the National the Guard Kraken. was going to arrest everybody and Sidney Powell was going to release the Kraken and all of these things, you know, Biden and Pelosi were all going to get taken out of the inauguration. But, they, but those were those were those were threats of those were, you know, promises of things to come. What got me about this one and I and I, you know, I, I hadn't concluded that I thought it was true, but I was intrigued by it, certainly because. These are such specific and uh, dramatic accusations to make. Uh, at the very least, I thought to myself, "There's, uh, I'm, I cannot wait to see what the reaction is going to be." Uh, so it is gonna, it, it's gonna drive narrative that way. I would assume that the participants, everybody, has to respond at the very least to say this is all, you know, nonsense. But uh, yeah, I was intrigued, man. I thought, I thought, you know, this. Sounds plausible. Yeah. Dinesh D'Souza is probably already making a movie about it. But <laughs> I like, here's my thing. All right. I, Can I, we invest? I because look, he does pretty well. Right. I look at this. I, I started looking and I myself at first, I'm like, wow. And the, here's the reason. It's a thousand percent believable. And I have absolutely no doubt that the Sinaloa cartel somewhere in America influences elections. Okay. And other drug cartels. There's a lot of crime and corruption going on. But when I see it here, I'm thinking, this is not something that's going on. This is something that's going to take everybody on a wild goose chase into another dead end. And I think this is how disinformation works. And the thing that really gave me a red flag on it was that I noticed... Somebody that I'm familiar with and somebody that I think probably many of our listeners are familiar with. His name's Brandon House, and he's on Christian radio, and he does a very good job of explaining Marxism and Marxist principles and Marxist operations and infiltration in our country and in our government. But I heard him break the story, and, and, and this is him breaking the story. Joining me now is John Thaler. He's an attorney, and uh, I had a good 40-minute conversation with him today. This all came about, as you guys know, because last night I was interviewing Ivan Raiklin and Colonel John Mills from the Arizona House and Senate Committee. They were on the Lindell Report, and I was sitting in for Mike Lindell, who was out on business. And they said, you've got to hear the last person that testified, uh, Jacqueline Berger. So I said, Logan, can you pull it up in the control room? We have it. We have it on there. We started playing it. We were stunned at what we were hearing. Of course, I've since last night watched the whole thing, including the Q and A with the members of the committee talking to her. Now he's talking about the video you just played, Jacqueline Berger or Berger, who no one's ever heard of, and by the way, has a British or South African accent. I wasn't quite clear, but right there was sort of a tip off for me, like. It's a little strange, you know, anytime I see somebody from another country in the middle of these things, we've, we've had issues now in the last several years of a lot of real misinformation or misleading information coming from foreign players. Today, I reached out to her and she graciously put me in touch with the attorney that she was representing, uh, John Thaler. And John spent 40 minutes on the phone with me today talking. Now, I don't understand all of this, nor can I validate it. But okay, here, he's, he's taking away responsibility from himself for spreading information right there. Okay, I don't understand all of this, 
but I'm going to give it all to you. It's that important. But I well, can certainly of- ask questions. And isn't that my job as a journalist, as a news host, is to ask questions? Yes, it is. That's your job as a journalist and a news host to ask questions. But that's not exactly how things are rolling out here. And to be able to verify something. And shouldn't that committee in Arizona do that? Shouldn't they say, well, this is very interesting. We need to look into this. In fact, one person did after she made her presentation. Another said, you've got my attention. Well, Another said that if these accusations are true and accurate, it's the completely inappropriate forum to bring the information to light that there are law enforcement agencies to bring the information to to actually do something about it. There's nothing that the legislators can do about it. I understand some don't want to talk about this at all. They don't think this should have ever happened, nor should the testimony have ever occurred and been before the committee. My question is, why not? You can either validate it or you can refute it. And if you can validate it, then we better go into more investigations. If you can refute it, then refute it and show that it's not true and move on. But there's too many facts being buried. Things are thought to be too, well, just too fantastic, just too overwhelming to actually look at. Well, that's not how you're supposed to conduct these research panels and hearings. And we, well, here, we love to ask questions. And that's how we get to the bottom of things. So tonight... Jeremy. All right, now go ahead. Let me ask you a couple of questions. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. First of all, uh, when you told me that you thought that something was amiss here, I started to go dig. And I didn't dig very much. I dig. I dug as much as anybody could. I just decided, okay, well, let me go look up Jacqueline Berger and this law firm. And I immediately started to get red flags, too, because I couldn't find very much, especially on the law firm, which is a bit unusual, uh, especially because she portrays this law firm as being so successful in what they do. And she has a, I found a contact for her. She's a real estate, or she's a insurance broker. Right. Um, uh, for State Farm. That's at least what, what, what is online. So, uh, yeah, I began to, to, to feel like something was off here as well. Now, let's assume you're right. And it's looking like you're right. What is it with this? Who is this guy that released it that you're saying? What's his name? So this guy where the story is really coming out of who's got this exclusive interview with Thaler, the the man that owns this law firm who this Jacqueline Berger works for is Brandon House. And he has a regular daily program. He's got a show called Worldview Weekend. He's got a TV show. And he's connected to Mike Lindell now. And Mike Lindell, I think, is funding a lot of his operation. And... I like Mike Lindell. I think Mike Lindell is a patriot, but I think Mike Lindell, a lot of the disinformation that came out of the 2020 election came through sources like Mike Lindell and Brandon House. Yeah. Do you think that they're being duped? I th- or do you think that they are maybe part of it? It's one of the two. It's not anything other than that. When you played what you played from Brandon, that sounds like he is seriously crafting that message. He's crafting the way that it's going out. Now, that may just be that he's really skilled as an orator and a broadcaster, but 
to me it's he sounds invested in what he's in what he's spreading there to me he sounds very invested in spreading the story as true maybe <laughs> right i, I mean know. everything you know, he can... says is like and he's 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 trying to give himself a cushion here for when it's wrong and it may not come out for a long so here here's the biggest story i know that was disinformation that he spread previously was after i listened to him go on a diatribe for five or ten minutes about how important it is to not spread disinformation and make sure you have your guard up about disinformation. And then he went on to talk about the story of Jovan Pulitzer. And I'm not going to get into all of that history in 2020, but Jovan Pulitzer was a strange guy that has supposedly invented the QR code and he's a pattern recognition expert and he was the one that was going to come out with all of the information about the marked ballots that they were going to discover and he was going to expose all of the fraud in Arizona for the 2020 election and that story was totally false and that guy Joe Von Pulitzer was clearly a disinformation agent there's people today that still think that that stuff was true and it just got buried but the re- right. how do you know it's false how do you know it's false i want to press you on that just for a minute i i you, people know that it didn't get a hearing people know that it that in some places it did get a hearing and didn't seem to go anywhere you're saying it's false how do you how do you say that you know what are you backing that up with I don't think you want me to talk about that right now. <laughs> oh, now I really want you to talk about that right now. <laughs> so, do you need me to have you do you, do you, do you need me to do a voice changer for you? Yeah, do you, do you, I would need to have need a voice witness protection. I would need to have a voice change and and black out my face so nobody could see who's talking. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, you're. You know, I'm just gonna for, for the audience's benefit. Uh, Jeremy's got a very good track record, so I would uh, I would go with him on this one. I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt that it is uh, that it is false. The Johann Pulitzer stuff was false, as false as the name sounds. I mean, when I heard that his name was Pulitzer, I thought, okay, either he's a member of the Pulitzer family or well, that was actually, going on. It right? actually wasn't his name. I thought it was very good marketing to pick up that name. Yeah, that actually wasn't his name. He changed his name at some point in time. Right. He changed his name in the yeah, in the middle of a whole nother weird deal with something with his business and some lawsuits or something to that effect. I don't remember all the details of that. The the point here is about how disinformation spreads is some of it might be quite believable and some of it might be even accurate and that's what gets us hooked onto it, but there's enough of it in there that isn't true and isn't provable, and that's what got attached to all of the Trump lawsuits around election fraud that got those lawsuits kicked out of court, and he was doomed to fail from the beginning. And it wasn't because of corrupt liberal judges, though I don't doubt for a second they were judges. I don't doubt for a second that they were corrupt liberal judges in there, but the these cases were doomed to fail even in front of the most conservative judges. Okay. And that's what you're gonna have right here is another story where some of the details might be accurate or might be close to accurate, but enough of it is going to be un 
provable in the end, and everybody's going to be running to jump down this rabbit hole for this big golden prize of not only did they cheat on the election, but they also cheated with $13 million in funding from the Sinaloa cartel. And watch, things are going to keep getting weirder and weirder with this story. I guarantee it. There's going to be more bizarre details that come well, out so that are Jacqueline, not provable. Uh, you are filled with energy. Jacqueline, <laughs> Jacqueline is either going to have to leave the country or face arrest, don't you think? She made very specific charges against very specific entities and people. And that's another reason why people took notice of the story, because again, it wasn't just general, I've got information that I'm going to be bringing to light. I'm going to be releasing the crack. And this was unleashing a kraken if it was true she she released the information she named the names so doesn't she have to like either she's going to face serious repercussions or she's going to be gone from the country i don't know i don't know what her status is i know that when i hear foreign accent especially british or some other english speaking accent I start to I start to think, hmm, what are these people up to? If I've ever met people around this planet that have a problem with America, it's usually other English speaking people more than foreigners. Okay, well now we're good at that's and and thankfully we don't have sponsors because <laughs> and that is why we do not have sponsors, Jeremy, making the show brand unsafe. So <laughs> Jeremy, uh, let me ask you this. Normally, when something like this is done, it's to cover up the truth. And is the truth that they're actually doing this, but now they've attached it in such a crazy way that the entire topic is made toxic? Totally possible. It, and that's a that's a, another way that they operate and how stories, the way that in which they come out or are rolled out, can end up being discredited. But my view on something like this one is that only a, if any of it's true it's going to be a small amount of it that's true and most of it is going to be unprovable at best um and it's not going to go anywhere and katie hobbs is going to stay governor of arizona carrie lake is not going to be governor of arizona and everybody's going to keep talking about it and keep talking about it i noticed carrie lake did not i haven't heard a comment from her on this story that was another red flag she didn't seem to want to go near it. Um, I know I'm not the only person saying this now. I see uh, Tracy Beans, an editor-in-chief at Uncover DC, has said, a quick note on the claims out of AZ. I've been researching this story, and it isn't holding to muster. In a previous court filing against his ex-wife, Thaler included a listing of bankruptcies he's alleged were forged by Brittany Thaler, his ex-wife. I've researched about 10 of these using access to federal bankruptcy cases, and they're all filed by real people with real identities and real debts. I will continue to do my due diligence on this. A lot of reading and a lot of litigation. So... And sent in, by the way, by one of our producers, Big D and AZ. Yeah. So the, uh, and I look, hey, I could be wrong. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. I'm going to take the opposite approach then of Brandon House. And the approach I'm going to take is before you get all worked up and excited about a story like this, do your homework. <laughs> Do some research first. And I think that's where journalism's taken sort of a unfortunate turn because there's a race to publish 
And there's certainly a desire to publish red meat that everybody wants because everybody's looking for justice and everybody's looking for a hero to save the day in the travesties of justice in our country right now. But you can't just jump on every story and every piece of red meat you see because you're going to end up getting burned. And the reason for this is so that no one ever has to take you seriously or believe anything you say again. So be careful. Watch out out there, people. That's why you got to listen to the Truth Bait. Yeah, there's a bit of Truth the Bait Truth for you. Bait podcast. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right, Jeremy. I think you are right, and I think our listeners are wiser for it. Well, that's why I, it that's is why red I work meat. with you, because you always think I'm right. I Well, <laughs> that is not exactly the endorsement you want to walk around with, Jeremy. <laughs> but there it is. Uh, that That is not the only piece of red meat out there, by the way. And it, this next story fits in really nicely with what you were just saying because it is it gives people the perfect villain and it is pure red meat and it is designed to drive narrative. Are you aware of the GDL? GDL is the Goyam Defense League. What? <laughs> the Goyam Defense League. Goyam Defense League? What's yep, a that's Goyam? That's a real thing. Uh, a Goyam, I believe, is a derogatory term for uh, somebody who is not Jewish. Is it? Is it derogatory? It's not a nice thing to say? I think that uh, there are nicer ways to describe somebody as not Jewish. I always thought it was just a way. I always thought it was just a way of describing somebody that wasn't Jewish. Not necessarily. I've never used it very nicely. I've always used it derogatory. Well, that's not nice of you. (laughs) Sorry. That's not nice. That's not nice of you. But 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 I I think I used it the other day. Give me context here. I use that in a sentence. I think I was just talking about Goyam. All right, well, the Goyam Defense League but, might want to know what you're talking about. <laughs> this is a group that was founded by somebody named, and you'll never have heard of this guy. You will now, but no one has heard of this person before now. John Minadio. Minadio. M-I-N-A-D-E-O. John Minadio. Sure, it's not Menadeo. 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 Menadeo, that's it. it. Sounds John like Menadio. an oxymoron. If Goyam is a derogatory term, then the def- a defense league seems like it wouldn't well, fit. Yeah, no, I think they're wearing the they're wearing the badge proudly. So here's this is he founded this group, the Goyam Defense League, in 2018 in California, and Mark Levin, uh, the broadcaster, uh, posted this to his Twitter feed a couple days ago or yesterday. And uh, it shows a group of people shouting anti-Semitic insults and taunts at Jews as they leave a Jewish organization in Orlando, Florida. There you go. Heil Hitler, Jew! Heil Hitler! Heil Hitler! Look at this Jew! Get out of here! Sir, do you think you should be put in an oven? Are you Jewish? Oh my Leave our country, go back to Israel. You know where you bomb Palestinian kids? Where we fund you stupid Jews? Eight billion dollars a year? You look like a horse. You look like a Jewish horse. Look at the horse face on this Jew. 
so just to describe what's what's going on here, uh, you have uh, John standing with a megaphone. He's wearing a Hawaiian shirt and matching Hawaiian shorts, and he's got a lei around his neck. I have no idea why they've chosen the Hawaiian theme, but him and approximately four or five of his fellow Goyam Defense League compatriots are gathered on the sidewalk right by a driveway where uh, Jewish members of uh, the Chabad uh, organization are, are coming and going from from their property. So when he says don't touch his car, he's clearly, he's got a mind towards exactly what his boundaries are, and he's in control of the situation. So now he goes to walk over and report the Jewish member who he says just tried to run him over. He goes to report them to the two sheriffs vehicles that are parked over there that you don't see in the video until they go to report on the uh, the Jew that tried to run them over and the uh, the I police just drive away. Jewish. The cops work straight for the <laughs> Jews. I was going to report that Jew trying to run us over and look what these cops do. So, yeah, that's John Menadio. And that that's the well, Goyam Defense the League. they're the Goyam Defense League, then Goyam must be a derogatory term. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me tell you something. Jeremy, this is an op. Obviously. This is an op all no day question. long. It reeks of an no. op. Do you know who this guy reminds me of? He reminds me of a cross between uh, Richard Spencer and yeah. Baked Alaska. And that's... Mm-hmm. For people who don't, let me give people a little bit of background. Uh, Richard Spencer, he popped up uh, out of nowhere uh, right after Trump was elected. Do you remember? I'd never heard of this guy before that, but all of a sudden, yeah, he became uh, the face of of white nationalism until he suddenly disappeared. Trump left office. You never hear from the guy again as though, you know, he he served his purpose and now he's gone. Baked Alaska uh, was a fellow traveler in Milo Yiannopoulos and... Uh, this guy's his story. He was he was cheerleading the tiki torch holders in Charlottesville, and he was one of the guys on the inside on January sixth inside Pelosi's office. And his whole job, I I, I believe that guy's an op. Uh, he's he's either a spook or he's working uh, as a, as a, a contract for a spook. I think, in my opinion, and he uh, his job is to videotape people. His job is to get people on video because that's what he does. And he, and he does, he, Baked Alaska did the exact same thing where he, he you know, made these videos where he was, you know, uh, saying really outlandish stuff about uh, uh, being proud to be white. And uh, it, it, to me, it just reeks like this guy, his job is to create this red meat and to be basically the flame to draw in the 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 anti-semitic moths he's you know he's this guy is he's turning everybody going on was there another protest there or anything like to me what what this reminds me of is like the westboro baptists that show up only at left-wing protests it's a it's a pretend christian organization they're not really christian they come and they protest against homosexuality and same-sex marriage, but they do it like not in a way of 
being opposed to it, but in a way of just the same way this guy's screaming at these people as Jewish, just total right. hatred, it is total just meant profanity, to, right. vileness. They're mm-hmm. just as vile as what they're claiming the vileness is that they're protesting. And they're actually more it's pure vile. Spectacle. And what they do is they create a perception that this is who Christians are, you know, that Christians are this type of person. Yeah, he's got a right. cross on his arm. So it's like a so propaganda right push that you know, right here, that anybody that sees that cross now associates in their mind that Christian and Goyim, hello, Christian, thinks that uh, these Jews are horse faces and and that this is how vile Christians are. So that that right. I think yes. is the point here. You're, well, you're getting ahead of me. Let me let me let me let me take you through what raised the the real suspicion for me that this guy is an op, because he's done this before, and it's a little bit different than what you're describing with the Westboro Baptist Church, because uh, this guy went to Beverly Hills to the Beverly Hilton uh, with a a giant truck that had banners all over it reading uh, "Resisting Replacement." Uh, calling, you know, Zionist occupied America, you know, just a whole bunch of, you know, uh, vile stuff on it. And he jumps out, he's got, you know, he's shouting, and he's got two guys with him that are dressed in full Nazi regalia. And he's shouting, the Nazis are coming, the Nazis are coming. He's parked the truck right in the middle of the driveway to block everything, and now he's, he's got these Nazis out. I mean, that is, uh, there's certainly no shortage of Jewish population uh, standing around uh, at the Beverly Hilton, I'm sure. So that was particularly uh, uh, abrasive to do, but it cost money. It cost money. They rented uh, costumes. They rented a truck. They, they planned this out. This was not something uh, that your average grassroots group would do. But, Jeremy, you want to know what really tipped it off for me that this, hmm. this is an op? The guy's an actor. Yeah, I found his page on IMDb. <laughs> he's, a, he's a failed actor, a failed actor and failed writer. Although he might be playing the the best and, and most profitable role he's ever had, here's a clip from his uh, 2011 movie Curveball. Everything's going great. Really excited. I got great news. Road trip. So I'm gonna invite Lyle. Next week, I'm asking Sarah to marry me. I know that Sarah is the one. For you will not be marrying Sarah. What did she say? Sarah is a whore. So that's Joe. <laughs> All right. Joe was not the one who said whore at the end. Joe was the, the guy that was speaking the rest of the time. Uh, you were probably dazzled by his brilliant well, he's acting. A, certainly uh, a brilliant actor. Now he's getting more stardom than he's ever had. We're talking about him. <laughs> right, exactly. Well, people are going to be talking about him. He is the new Richard Spencer. He is on the scene, and you know, you raised the the question. You raised the question and answer of of you know why. And I think you're absolutely right. It it stains the right. It stains Christians. And I'll tell you what, though, I found an article on a website called iNewsSource, 
never heard of this website, but they, it's actually a, a very thorough article, but it has some passages in here that jumped off the page as, as maybe what the real predicate here is. And let me just, I'm going to read a few highlighted passages from iNewsource, let's see, uh, by KQED. Maybe that's why it's uh, thorough, because it's actually not from iNewsource, it's from a, a third party. Social media has provided the perfect conditions for the resurgence of anti-Semitism. Minadio is a big player in a world of far-right influencers who spread hate, uh, hatred of Jews. <laughs> okay, well, there's your, there's your first one, social media and the right. These sentiments are echoed in another anti-Semitic notion that a secret cabal of Jewish people controls the world, a belief widely shared by adherents of the QAnon conspiracy. So that's another group we're tagging with this. The Goyim Defense League network is relatively small compared to other extremist groups in the United States, but people who monitor extremism say aggressive harassment of Jews and the perpetuation of the Great Replacement Theory, a racist conspiratorial narrative that white populations are covertly being replaced, has emboldened white supremacists and neo-Nazis. So now, if you noticed that the border is wide open and the population is essentially being replaced... You're now a neo-Nazi and a white supremacist. You are you are you might as well be part of the Goyam Defense League. All right. Internet service providers have tried to curb Goyam TV's reach. The channel's been kicked off the internet several times, but each time streaming resumed on a new server within a matter of days. Do you see where this is going? They are gonna use this guy to hype up the issue to censor the internet. Maybe. That's where I might see just him be going. another tool of that, but they've already got Kanye out there doing that. I mean, if it... But he's played out. This is... this, And Kanye's black. It confuses the whole narrative. This is a white guy with a crew cut. He fits the picture perfectly. He's got the cross on his arm. I know there's something up when they're on the private plane together. Uh, yeah. with Milo, right? And yeah. and Nick Fuentes. Definitely, uh, it is a cabal. That's a cabal. A cabal of uh, living propaganda actors. Uh, well, I, I cannot wait to learn more about this guy and see more about what he does. Uh, Mark Levin, instead of just spreading this, you may want to ask yourself what is going on and listen to the Truth Bait podcast every Tuesday mm-hmm. and Friday. Well, that was, uh, that was cheery. That was cheery. <laughs> I don't want to hang out with people like that. So I'm going to... You are people I'm like that, apparently. Democrat. Because <laughs> that's the move and they care you have any do you have any distractions I think, uh, well what that's a good you one noticed? except i never heard of it so it didn't distract me yet now i'm distracted by it but i i'm gonna say my uh i find to be particularly distracting right now above all the other stories that are out there is the trump indictment story did you know Ooh, that's right. He's going to be arrested, so. isn't he? I mean, they think so. Or they don't think so. I. A lot of people want him to be so arrested. Many people don't want him to be arrested. They should have an election or a vote. 
<laughs> Put him on a referendum. Right. Should, should we do arrest it by him? vote? That's what they want to do. They, that would be real people power, real democracy in action. Well, didn't the grand yes. jury just vote? The grand jury, Georgia. In Georgia. Um, ABC has some exhilarating coverage of this story. It's at the top of their website. So that's why I think it, the real intention here is distracting. I don't think anybody has any real intention of indicting Trump. I don't think he's ever going to get indicted. I think they just keep putting this stuff out there to keep everybody hopped up and, and scared or or. Right, And they need the ratings, too. Um, Here's ABC. Tonight, a special grand jury in Georgia is recommending perjury charges after their investigation into attempts by former President Trump and his allies to overturn the 2020 election. The former president did not testify, but a number of his key supporters did. And without releasing names, the grand jury said there may be evidence that one or more of them lied. Here's ABC's chief Washington correspondent, Jonathan Carl. The Georgia special grand jury investigating election interference by former President Trump and his allies has heard from 75 witnesses. Mr. Giuliani, when you met with... Including top Trump advisors Rudy Giuliani and former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows. Today we learned a majority of the jurors believes one or more of those witnesses may have committed perjury. But we still don't know who. Trump ally Senator Lindsey Graham, who testified in Georgia, today insisted he told the truth. But you're confident you're not one of the people that perjured themselves. I'm confident I testified openly and honestly. The judge overseeing the case released just a portion of the grand jury's final report, saying the full report includes, quote, a roster of who should or should not be indicted and for what in relation to the conduct and aftermath of the 2020 general election in Georgia. I love how they went to Lindsey Graham, who they know is, you know, one of the people that's been interviewed to to stage that question. You're you're confident you're not the one they think is lying, right? So they just insert in there that it's somebody did because the grand jury thinks so, so that happened. And then because of that, we can keep this story going on and on and on and on for as long as we want it to. It can lead into a whole nother investigation. I'm confused. How did they determine he subverted the election? Uh, I, yeah, I, that they said that he attempted to overturn the election. Okay, and so now they and the grand journey the grand the grand journey <laughs> the grand jury was impaneled. They heard the evidence. They are now talking about charges, right? right? Somebody somebody So what is it that they found that that he did to overturn well, the election? That somebody may have perjured themselves. So he overturned the election well, through somebody through else possibly perjuring themselves. <laughs> okay, this but sounds like a train wreck, man. Something else that the grand jury discovered. 
The jury was in total agreement on one point. Quote, we find by unanimous vote that no widespread fraud took place in the Georgia 2020 presidential election that could result in overturning that election. Oh, a double dinger. <laughs> the decision on whether or not to pursue criminal charges against Trump or any of his associates is now up to the district attorney, the Fulton County, Georgia district attorney. She hasn't indicated when she will make that decision, but back in January, she said it would be, quote, imminent. Okay, so just so everybody knows, the grand jury found zero possibility of any election fraud. Jeremy, Jeremy, that is a brilliant distraction. Distraction of the week. So far, because <laughs> it's only Tuesday. <laughs> I don't know how they come up with, like, it's not even propaganda at this point. You know, what do you call that? It's just overt insanity. I mean, here, but they could have said th- anything I, there. They could have said, like, the grand jury also found that the Hunter Biden laptop is fake. Well, didn't the four person, the four woman of the grand jury basically just ruin the grand jury? Didn't she just ruin the entire grand jury narrative, basically, by coming out as a lunatic? And I don't have a clip on her, but she came out as, you know, somebody not quite uh, balanced. Yeah, that is a giant distraction. So this is the same kind of thing to me as the impeachment, right? There was never a real intent to remove Trump from office. The the intent there was to use extra constitutional, extra judicial measures and set up and, and make it acceptable for the people to do things outside of the bounds of the Constitution to have these types of public trials. And this is the same sort of thing. And there's there's no intent. Right. Yeah. Conditions there's, people to to accept. And there's no intent behavior. to put Trump in jail. They're not. That whatever they do beyond this to him only empowers him further. It only makes him more popular and gives him more power with his base and support from his base. It's like if if you don't want him to do well, start leaving him alone. Right. Just go quiet. No, but they can't. They need the ratings. So they need the narrative. And, you know, the impeachment, I thought, you know, in terms of you know, looking at it from the perspective of narrative warfare, they wanted to attach the narrative that he was impeached, that he was impeached twice and yeah. impeached three times. And so and this is also about indicted. just attaching the narrative to him. And now he's been indicted for in a case that involved election found fraud. There was no fraud. <laughs> exactly. So, right. They're not going to talk about that. <laughs> so, yeah. So, well, that gets us into election 24, my election 24 update that I'm beginning to develop the... Uh, a new segment I don't have music for, but we'll get music for it. Election Maybe I should sing some. The All Election right. 24 update. So uh, I want to talk about Vivek Ramaswamy again. We talked about him before and uh, in the is previous it episode. And I, is it Vivek I mentioned, or Vivek? Or, Vivek? or is it Vivek? Vivek? Is it Vivek? Or I don't know, and my Anglo ears have not picked up on it yet. I I will listen for it, and I feel like uh, it's a name. Get the correct pronunciation. Say really fast, Vivek, Vivek, Vivek Ramaswamy, and it might be Ramaswamy. I don't I don't know if it's Ramaswamy or Ramaswamy. Ramaswamy. Anyway, I mentioned that I was not sold on him yet. That I that I. 
he seems too perfect. He seems to hit all the notes. He, he seems designed in a political laboratory to appeal to but, Trump voters and liberty-minded voters. Did, did you agree with that, or do you, do you have a different take on him? Well, he's not white, and Trump voters are all white supremacists. Right, exactly. So he has no yeah. chance anyway, so why are we talking about it? He is going to be a tremendous candidate. And I'm going to play a clip for you. Jeremy, I'm going to play for you. You're going to cringe. I'm playing for you the longest clip we've ever played on this show. And we're going to play this clip because I want to give him a good full hearing. This is from a speech he gave to Hillsdale College on February 16th of this year. And what he talks about is absolutely fascinating spot on and eloquently put if trump could talk this way maybe with more trump excitement uh, vivek doesn't vivek speaks more like uh, like obama than uh, than trump he's he's very much like obama he dresses like obama he he carries himself like, like obama very similar like you're sold no, no, I'm taking a very close look, and you should too, and here's why. In the wake of the bailouts, there was a grand bargain in this country, an unspoken grand bargain between big business and what used to be our conception of big government. It went like this, okay? If you're going to get that public money to save the bankers when times go bad, but you made a lot of money when times went good, then the Occupy Wall Street movement has a claim on that wealth. What the Occupy Wall Street movement said is, we're going to take that money from those wealthy corporate fat cats and redistribute it to poor people to help poor people. But right around that time, there was a new birth of progressivism in this country that had a different theory of the case. What they had to say was, you know what? The real problem wasn't quite just economic injustice. It wasn't quite just poverty. No, it was racial injustice and misogyny, and bigotry, and climate change. And that actually presented a lifeline to big business in this country. Because if you're Wall Street, you don't like Occupy Wall Street very much, but the new woke stuff is actually pretty easy. You applaud diversity and inclusion, put some token minorities on your boards, you muse about the racially disparate impact of climate change after you fly in that private jet to Davos. <laughs> it's pretty good work if you can get it but they didn't do it for free. There was an implicit ask in return that the new left looked the other way when it came to leaving their corporate power intact. And it worked so well for Wall Street that Silicon Valley then get in on the act. What Silicon Valley realized was that the old version of breakup big tech used to come from the left. Well, here's what we can do. We will use our monopoly power to advance your ideas. We will use our monopoly power to take down hate speech or misinformation as you define it, but we will not do it for free. We expect the new progressive movement to look the other way when it comes to leaving our monopoly power intact. That is the story of this arranged marriage. Okay, I just want to pause before we go on to make sure everybody's keeping up. He's talking about the, the way the relationships that have formed between government and big tech and Wall Street that have led to the technocratic uh, censorship and oppression that we're be just beginning to live under now. 
And the net result of that act is the birth of this new ESG industrial, woke industrial complex that's actually a new hybrid of state power and corporate power that's far more powerful than either one alone. And when you get that much power concentrated in the way that it is, state power and corporate power combined, then it lends itself to capture. And that's what happened in more recent years when a new actor showed up on the scene and turned that arranged marriage into a three-party affair. That is the Communist Party of China. They understand this game far more deeply than any of us do. What they realized is, okay, now, we can take this one step further. If we can get those same companies that will critique the United States relentlessly, that will apply emissions caps over there in their apologist model of capitalism, to do business in China without saying a peep about the actual human rights atrocities over here, we have undermined America's greatest geopolitical asset of all, and that is not our nuclear arsenal. It is our moral standing on the global stage. That's how you get Disney, who two years ago will say it can't shoot a film in the state of Georgia if Georgia passes an anti-abortion statute, that it says it cannot abide a new law in Florida that prevents public school teachers from teaching six-year-olds about transgenderism and gender identity, but will go in the same period to film Mulan in the Xinjiang province of China, literally ground zero of the Uyghur human rights crisis, where there are over one million religious minorities enslaved in concentration camps subject to forced sterilization, communist indoctrination, and worse, without saying a peep, until the very end of the movie, you could still see it in the credits today, where they say, we thank the local authorities for allowing us the privilege of filming here. That was what Disney got out of that trade. <laughs> but it turns out every other company's doing the same thing. Nike, BlackRock, Airbnb, JP Morgan Chase, the NBA. Why do they do it? The answer is actually really simple. It comes down to money. Because if you're the CCP, you build a great Chinese wall that prevents you from entering the Chinese market if you criticize the CCP. But if you criticize the United States or hamstring its economy with those emissions caps, we will roll out the red carpet. And so companies do what companies do. That is why Tim Cook and Larry Fink are Xi Jinping's circus monkeys. He will say jump. They will say how high because it comes down to their bottom line. Actually, there's a really funny twist in this story. BlackRock is actually the firm that causes firms like Exxon and Chevron to drop oil production projects here at home. You might wonder if this might actually serve as at least one small step forward in the march against global climate change. Even then, you'd be wrong, because it turns out many of those same projects are still proceeding only under different ownership under the ownership of the likes of PetroChina, who's buying up the very projects that Chevron is dropping. And then you look up who's one of the largest foreign shareholders of PetroChina. And it's actually none other than BlackRock using Chinese citizens' capital to own that company instead. That's how deep this problem runs. But market actors can make a difference. This is why I founded Strive a little over a year ago to compete with BlackRock states. So that... I was just absolutely floored by those comments. He named all the right names, and he framed it absolutely perfectly. They have this relationship, and the deal is they will censor whoever they want censored. They will run whatever ESG program that they want run, and the the deal in return 
is that they let them go make money in slave town China. And they don't protest about it. They keep quiet. They get to maintain their monopoly powers in their different industries as long as they continue serving the 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 goals of the of the machine. Now were you impressed by that? It sounded pretty accurate. This this last part though kind of made me wonder. <laughs> the part that he gets into now where he's talking about the firm that he launched. Now listen, I'll back okay, this up a bit. Kind of well, that's why I founded Strive a little over a year ago to compete with BlackRock, State Street, and Vanguard using shareholder power, the money of everyday citizens, to deliver a different message to corporate America, to tell companies to focus exclusively on excellence over politics, on making excellent products and services for your customers without apology, and yes, making money in the process, maximizing value for your shareholders without apology, and to dilute the power exercised by this small handful of actors so I think that's what he's actually doing. He may not be actually running for president, actually. I'll say actually a few more times. He, I think, might just be marketing his firm. He's getting amazing exposure for his firm. It's the first time I've heard of it. Me as well. So I think he may not have any intention of winning the nomination. He may win the nomination, but this is just amazing, amazing marketing and advertising for him. He could write off his entire campaign. Yeah. And he can... Here he makes... I'm oh, sorry, what? And he can uh, build his company up to compete with uh, BlackRock. Or maybe they could become partners. Isn't that the move? <laughs> He's gonna he'll 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 grow the company uh, positioning it uh, in the counter market, and then he will eventually just meld with the problem. This guy, become a part I mean, of the it. The thing with him is, I think he's clearly he's like he brought it up in at last time. You know, he's so sharp, he's so groomed. He's he's like Budigig. Budigig, uh, gig was the. He doesn't show up for work. <laughs> Budigig was the mayor. He breastfeeds. <laughs> he, chest feeds. Right. Excuse me. He was the mayor. Oh, gross. They, he was the <laughs> mayor of uh, South Bend, Indiana. Was it? And I mean, it was so obvious he was being groomed. Do you remember when we were in China? Well, well, we were in Hong Kong. Well, it's China now. Now it is. It wasn't. I get. You know, it was sort of ambiguous when we were there. Well, it was. It was China then too. You saw that one woman ripping pro-China propaganda signs off. The bravest the, woman in Hong Kong. <laughs> yeah, she's running around ripping signs down off of the subway uh, stations. With surveillance cameras everywhere. 20th anniversary of China retaking control of Hong Kong. That's right. So it was China. And there were Chinese flags everywhere. We were in China. Okay. China. It's not, it wasn't what I picture when I think of a Anyways, communist when we country, were but there, I guess I, When was. we were there, I was just in the hotel room going to sleep one night. And here's Budigig on The Tonight Show. Okay, the mayor of South Bend, Indiana. This is way before he announced his campaign for president. 
I thought you were about to play Buddha Gig. No, um, the point the is, the point is he was groomed. He's been being groomed for a long time, and this guy's been being groomed too. You can yeah, tell. but this guy's actually got real substance. Buddha Gig is uh, what's his name off of Mad Magazine. The guy's got <laughs> he's got no substance, no depth at all whatsoever. He is incompetent. This guy's not incompetent. This guy's incredibly competent. Like I said, the politician he reminds me the most of is Obama. Uh, here he makes another good point about uh, the United States and China, though. It is the direct product of a bipartisan consensus in this country back in the 1990s. Conviction in the faith of democratic capitalism. The idea that somehow we could use capitalism as a vehicle to spread democracy to places like China. The idea that we could export Big Macs and Happy Meals and somehow that was going to spread freedom. Well, what they realized is they could turn that game on its head. We thought we could use our money to get them to be more like us. They realized they could use their money, access to their market, to get us to be more like them. Or even one step better than that, that they could use our money to get us to be more like them. Sending back those Disney movies and iPhones as Trojan horses to undermine the United States from within. The Soviet Union did not supply the shoes on our feet or the phones in our pocket. That is what makes our unique moment far more complicated than anything I think we faced in the latter half of the 20th century. I can't disagree with any of that. And I actually think a bipartisan consensus is starting to come about that that pretty much agrees on that point. Mm-hmm. So he's making the right point. And no matter what his motive is, I like that that is being injected and it's being injected in a way Trump is just not capable of doing. He can't speak this way. Trump can speak in very grand ways and very big ways and then in comical ways, but he can't speak in with intellectual detail like this guy can. Yeah. This guy should maybe be a part of the Trump presidency. Yeah. An advisor, something like that. Right. Speechwriter. But here he makes a, what I think is a veiled jab at Trump. You know what I say? When we rallied, many of us did, behind the cry to make America great again, I don't think we hungered for a single man. I think we hungered for the unapologetic pursuit of excellence in our country. Thank you. I don't know if I The Hillsdale crowd like that, though. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I agree. Yeah, of course, it's the right thing to say. I'm just not sure it's true. When I look out there right now, I see people looking for one person to come and try and save this country. Nobody, people aren't out doing the work. People aren't really interested, it seems like to me. Everybody's kind of lulled away by their entertainment and right, people want Vivek to be the next do. one right and Vivek to be the next guy that does it for us could be instead of us doing it ourselves that was um, that I was bad marketing he should him. have said you need one person Vivek <laughs> me that's me. exactly right I'm gonna say it could be any of us yeah uh here he is on Bill Maher from February of 22 and he makes a he makes a good point here Actually, think there's, there's truth to a lot of what you guys are saying, but at the end of the day, they're able to deflect accountability for these questions by actually changing the subject. That's a big part of what we were talking about with this cultural elitism is ultimately part of the reason that you see 
Pfizer decide or a big corporation decide that there's going to be a certain number of people who are going to staff its ranks who are diverse. These are the press releases you see from pharmaceutical companies today, not actually how we're going to bring down the cost of drug development. And that is the most important point that he is making. And he makes it in the in that in the first longer clip that I played, which is that they are using Corporate America uses the ESG movement and not uh, the, the the leadership of the ESG movement is not naive. They know they're this is part of the grand bargain with them. They use the movement as window dressing so that they can then go ahead and do business as usual, uh, any place, any time. And that is, I'm trying to decide who's the biggest dupe. Is it the people on the left who think that they're actually being represented by ESG? Uh, or is it the people on the right who think that uh, corporate America actually believes in ESG? Well, I think uh, this guy is... It's a tie. Yeah, That's the answer, by the way. You think so? <laughs> I think it's a tie. I think we're all being duped. We are all being duped. Anybody who believes in anything is currently being duped by the people in charge <laughs> who appear to believe in nothing. And now I'm going to ruin uh, Vivek for you uh, from the same episode of Bill Maher. There's a different way to get to universal health care. What? There's a different way to get to universal health care. And I think it's really important because no one's talking about it. Is actually you might take the administrative bureaucracy that's responsible for administering those dollars, just like the bureaucracy that administers PPP, by the way, they waste a lot of money, send to the wrong places. And I would say, let's actually dissolve that entire apparatus, CMS, Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, take the money and distribute it to the people who can't afford to buy private health insurance to actually buy private health insurance. And if you crunch those numbers, it's about five to $6,000 a person. But it gets you most of the way there. So get rid of the bureaucracy and give the money no, back to the people. Well, That's what I said. Uh, He's got a plan for universal health care, everybody. That sounds great. Vivek Ramaswamy. What is the point of that? So instead of just giving away the poor health care, we're going to give all the poor people money to buy insurance to get the poor health care with? It's, it would be a huge gift to private insurance companies. That's all it ever is. And, and why are you going to build a mechanism for universal health care if you think you're leading the MAGA movement anywhere? Uh... Right. I mean, is he is he trying to is he trying to couch the idea of dissolving entitlements in a package that he thinks will be uh, uh, consumable on the left? Maybe. Because good luck with that. Yeah, I don't know. And that was your election update. Great. Well, we get <laughs> Trump, MAGA, Trump, and vaccines, or we get. Vivek and healthcare, universal it's, yeah, healthcare. Yeah, it's looking good. No, none of them can win anyway unless uh, the CIA allows it. So it doesn't That's matter. That's true. That's true. Well. <sighs> yep. This is why we do it, Jeremy. This is why we do it. We're educating the people. We're giving them, the, the, getting them out of the clickbait and into the truth bait. And for the people. Every Tuesday and Friday. Without fail. Uh, which that brings me to our first citizen sponsor of today's Wait, whoa, episode. Hold on a second. Okay. I'm trying to listen much more intently to you today because I realize that I'm missing a lot of what you say when I'm show prepping during while you're talking. And so I'm really trying to pay attention. If I'm not mistaken, did you just say our first Citizen sponsor? First. Because that would imply there's more than one citizen sponsor. First of all, 
there's a citizen sponsor on episode three. And are, am I should I am I misreading you? Are you saying there's more than one citizen sponsor? Did I say first? You said first. Yes. That implies a second. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, we have two citizen sponsors. That is crazy. Wait, we're on episode three. That's How is right. that possible? That's right. At this rate, by episode four, we'll have three citizen sponsors. Oh, we need to get to episode a million. Yes. <laughs> citizen sponsor number one is Dan from Wisconsin. Dan writes, I have a technical request. I would like the podcast volume to be higher. I ride my bike daily and listen to my podcasts when I'm riding. When listening to your second podcast today, there were times it was hard to hear. I use a speaker and not headphones for safety. I don't think I'm the only one that exercises or does chores and listens to podcasts. So if possible, that would enhance my experience greatly. You too. I'm sorry, Jeremy. He, he was unable to hear... The podcast, Evidently. is that what you're saying? Yeah, that's what he's. Maybe that's why he liked it so much. Uh, let me see if I can give uh, Ramaswamy to help me. Uh, that is the Communist Party. Of no, China. he's not going to help me. He's not very loud. You're right. I we're playing. The problem is we're, we're playing quiet people. Oh, that's it. He says, you two are doing a fine job. Keep up the work. Um, Oh, that's very nice. I guess I'll respond to that before I go on, but I would suggest technical support. Uh, turn the volume knob louder, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> this may not be user error. We are on episode three. It is very, very possible that the person who is mixing this broadcast before uploading it for distribution Still is trying to get a grasp on the best way to, to best practices for mixing. Maybe, but before we can look into this on our end, Dan, and we're going to, by the way, before we can look into this on our end, Dan, we're going to need you to power off your equipment completely, unplug it from the wall and call us back and wait on hold for about 25 mi minutes. And you can listen to some hold music. Uh, then we'll ask you to turn your volume louder and see if that works if that still doesn't work at that time we will investigate on our end what the technical problems might be dan just kidding i don't know what the problem is or why dan couldn't hear us but uh we are doing our best to make sure the audio levels are the same loud and clear for every episode and as far as i know andrew has been doing excellent work on mixing this podcast. I'm sorry you, you had trouble with it, Dan. You are very kind. Let me tell you what I think he's talking about. If he's talking about an episode two, it's not a volume level. What he could not hear was anything because in the first upload that I sent to RSS, uh, in that upload, there was one of your media clips missing. Somehow it was on a muted track and at approximately 51 minutes in the episode you're greeted with silence and my friend dan would not matter how high you turn your volume you will hear nothing because there was nothing there now i realized that this happened and i quickly rushed and i replaced the clip 
But apparently the backend mechanism for the way these work, it ended up being distributed out to a number of different locations. I don't even know if it's uh, if the distribution has been updated in the back end out to all of these different services. I know that what we have up now and we're serving has all of the appropriate audio. It's possible that when people go tune into it now, they get the proper episode. But it's possible, Dan, you heard the dead spot. And I would like to point out that I was very curious who was going to notice this. Dan, you have you have the distinction of being the first and only person to comment on it. And I would like to question my partner here. My friend, did you not listen 51 minutes into the previous episode? I think I got to like 45 minutes or so, and then that was all I heard. <laughs> Busted! <laughs> <laughs> now, what does it say that you won't even listen to your own podcast? Well, I hear a lot of myself. <laughs> <laughs> I have to hear my own thoughts most of the time. I think you just you heard you heard your low energy in the previous episode, and you turned it off. You decided you couldn't listen yeah, to that anymore. Like Jeremy is boring. <laughs> that was one of the that was one of the pieces of feedback I got from uh, producer Barb in Arizona, the cruise director in Arizona. She uh, let me know that um, she said you're it, it, it's great. Jeremy sounds great, although it sounds like he doesn't really get going until about 15 minutes in. And so do you want to start recording, you know, 15 minutes before you actually start the show? That was that was her advice. Now, which is what we know, did Jer- today, Barb. So let me know if I was better. Uh, it was the best started. 15 minutes we've done. Yeah. <laughs> We may have to air it. Well, so Dan... Your energy has been fabulous. That's all I'm saying. Thank you. Dan uh, goes on. You two are doing a fine job. Keep up the work. One thing I would like your thoughts on at the end of Trump's presidency when COVID happened, he caved to Fauci and Big Pharma supporting the vaccine and the warp speed deal. I just feel he needs to address that in some way now that has proven to be a complete disaster. Thanks. Well, okay. So you, uh, you go ahead. You're reading the letter. If you want to do the response first, you go right ahead. Uh, well, I'll I'll let you go for it. I mean, I agree. I agree with Dan. I mean, I, I and I don't know, you know, what much to say except that I think Trump got. Uh, I think COVID really caught him off guard and put him in a place where he really had uh, decided he didn't know what the best thing to do was, and he started trusting the people around him, which were people he shouldn't be trusting. And I think you could see it that first night he declared an emergency was that he was not in control of the situation, and he was taking advice from people that he wasn't sure he should be taking advice from. And that continued and and persisted for the rest of the presidency and and now i don't know what he does you know well that's i think you're correct on all of that jeremy to the point of the vaccine though we're not going to have to address it just yet because you know when it's going to be addressed and this is the this is the number one reason everybody should want trump to win the nomination the moment he wins the nomination the narrative on the vaccine is going to get honest the 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 machine is going to begin admitting that the vaccine is a disaster yep and they're going to hang it around Trump's neck. That's right. So you want if you want that issue addressed, you really want him to win the nomination because, boy, is it going to be addressed then. Yep, because then every death is going to be because of the vaccine, just like exactly. every death was because of COVID. Yep. And it's all going to be, you're going to hear 24-7 how the vaccine was great and how great 
warp speed was. Um, yeah, I think he deserves it. By the yes, way, yes, I he, agree. You know what? He put his name and his stamp yep. and pushed it out. He screwed uh, up. Full approval. Think That's a, a Trump vaccine. I think the only salvation he can get there is to is to cough it up and be honest Agreed. about it and beg for forgiveness because he was wrong on that one. Dan, thank you. Dan, you are our first technical producer. Thank you, Dan. Thank you for the feedback and uh, letting us know about the technical issues we had. We are going to do our best to make sure uh, we get you a good, clean, loud. He's an show active to listener. Listen to on your bicycle riding. He's adventures. an example of an active listener. Or adventures, I guess. I'll wait until you're done. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> I don't want to interrupt you. <laughs> you sounded like you're having such a nice conversation there. He is our first. He's an active listener. That's that. He's not our first active listener, but he is an active listener. He he. Yeah. Uh, didn't just listen to the show. He was moved to actually be a participant. And we need those people. We need a lot of active listeners, Jeremy. Now go rate it as five stars and don't put in the comments that there's a volume problem at the 51st minute of the episode. <laughs> right. Uh, you know what? And he's not, he's not the only kind of active listener we need. And let's do, let's do this now, Jeremy. This is, this is ask time. We, 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 we need, need active listeners. We need people who, I'll tell you what the most important and valuable active listener is right now, is people willing to share the program with their friends. Uh, I think the only way you really grow a podcast audience, it seems to me, is word of mouth. And that is going to be the most helpful thing to us is people passing around the podcast and uh uh or doing what dan did uh, uh you know giving us feedback or or sending us tips sending us uh it was uh it was big dna z who sent us that uh that tweet uh, regarding the the scandal uh, the forming scandal in arizona or non-scandal in arizona and said we should be smarter basically uh, and he's correct <laughs> we've been more prepared i think <laughs> this is what he's trying to say uh and uh and the other kind of active listener frankly this is this is extremely important too are people who can uh, financially contribute to the program. We operate on something called the value for value model. And one of the reasons we do is because this program would not work with regular sponsors. We are deconstructing our culture, which is run by corporate America and corporate America would be none too pleased. It would control what we said. And uh, this is a, this is the truth bait podcast, not the BS bait podcast, uh, bull snot, by the way. Um, and uh, so uh, we are uh, only going to be able to do this if people feel that they are receiving value and that they want to give value in return. And uh, that is, again, that's people who can, who can give us tips, people who can give us feedback, and people who can contribute financially. And when you contribute financially, you will, if, and we, we're, we still have to work out the, the, the donor levels, but when you contribute financially, you actually get value out of that because you will, at a certain level, you'll receive a producer credit uh, and an executive producer credit uh, that you can use on IMDb. We're going to be listing these episodes on IMDb. These are real credits that you're going to be able to use out in the real world. So there's value even beyond just the uh, the information and entertainment that we're delivering here. Yeah, 
And I, we definitely want to keep encouraging the participation. If you have a, a point of agreement or disagreement, and quite frankly, I would almost rather hear disagreement. Uh, we we want to in, in add to the conversation and discussion of these things. We're not always right, but we do think based on our experience in the street and doing the film work we do and working in the media that we have, that a lot of times we're able to look at things in a way that aren't, you know, very clear or at least aren't coming out clearly on the right or the left side of the media apparatus. And so if we could help you to look at things more critically and think about things more uh, in a little bit of a different way, uh, we also think you're able to add to that. Uh, we, we know a lot of people have different ideas about the current events that we're looking at, and uh, it's very helpful to us for you to contribute content to the show. Absolutely. And since we don't have a mechanism by which to take a financial donation yet, uh, the best way to give value is through this other method, sending us show ideas, sending us story ideas. And again, I can't impress upon everybody enough, and especially you, Jeremy, share the show. Maybe listen through it, Jeremy, <laughs> to make sure that it's something you want to share. Make sure it's your cup of tea, uh, but share the show. That's going to build this audience, and you listening now are in on the ground floor helping us grow this show. Very good. Can we move on? That is the end of the ask. We need to come up with music for uh, and segmentize, segmentize the the ask portion. Yeah, it would help, and then it would help us transition out into the next segment. Yeah, I'll just I'll end it again with this. And now on to the Cold War Three update. <laughs> and I don't have music for this Perfect. either, but I need music for the Cold War Three update. Maybe we should play the Russian Federation anthem. Cold War Three. That was. Did you like that? I thought. I think my voice. My voice choked out. Let me. Let me give it one more time. Cold War Three. We could clip that and use it every time. (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) I just made it. Very good. So, Ukraine. It's the one-year anniversary of Ukraine. And does that excite you? Does that depress you? Does it move you in any way? Uh, I guess it seems like it's been longer than a year. Seems like it's been going on for, I don't know, at least a couple of years now. It was right as they were transitioning away from dominating news coverage with COVID constantly. And the insurrection and election fraud and they moved into Ukraine, Russia invasion. Ukrainian officials say they are bracing for a major new offensive later this month, marking one year since the initial Russian invasion. So, yeah, uh, the media got very excited about it. They were selling the that, that there was a major Russian offensive coming. If you're Putin and you're watching the news and you hear that there's a major Russian offensive coming, do, what do you do in that case? Do you, do, you, do, you, do you keep the plans on? Do you change your plans? What do you, ah, MSNBC knows my schedule. <laughs> what the? He just puts his T down. He's like, oh, I wasn't planning but it on is it a good idea. Week, but if they're scared about it, okay. I good. don't even have to do it. They're scared. Yeah, oh, this is perfect. Yes. Do you I remember, like. though, a year ago when 
Lieutenant General Hodges was saying that that the Russians only had ten <laughs> had ten days of ammunition left. Oh. Um, the Russians, I think, are about ten days away from what Clausewitz called their culminating point, when they just no longer have the ammunition or the manpower to keep up uh, their assault. So I, I think we keep pouring it on, and the Russians will culminate. That was a year ago on Fox News. Thank you to Fox News for helping uh, move the propaganda needle. Yeah, that was a great sharing of our intelligence, wasn't <laughs> Lieutenant it? Lieutenant <laughs> General Ben Hodges retired. Uh, yeah, so now that we're expecting, uh, you know, they're promoting this uh, one-year anniversary assault, uh, what do you, do you think Ben is, is, has moderated his estimates at all? Do you think he's changed his tune? Do you think maybe he's out of the prediction business? I think that reports of a major Russian offensive um, have been uh, exaggerated. For sure, they are getting more troops in, but I don't see any evidence that they are better trained, better prepared. Uh, and, and so what they do have is apparently more than 10 days worth of ammunition. The Russian military leadership continues to push these untrained or poorly trained soldiers into the meat grinder around Bakhmut and places like this. So um, it's hard to tell if there really is a new offensive or not, or if they're going to delay it because they're not ready. Um, but I am skeptical that we're going to see anything more significant than just a increase in the number of of mass infantry attacks. Is this guy a, a, is this guy active or is he some retired? He's retired. Guy? He's active on all of the media, okay. and clearly he's active in intel because he's pushing the intel okay. lie. Listen to how nuts this guy is. This is just a very quick. Clip. Yeah, but can, listen to this. Can one of our active listeners email him and ask him to step up his energy? <laughs> <laughs> He's tired. He's on a lot of media. Listen, no, you want to, yeah. oh, you want his stepped up energy, Jeremy? Here you go. I would yeah. like to see Ukraine be able to strike Russian uh, targets inside Russia. How's that for energy? <laughs> okay. Right? Yeah. That's a great idea. All right. Can they do that with American weapons? We've given them enough money to, haven't we? They're right next door. They should be able to. Mm, that guy's scary. And he's not, by the way, he's not the only one who you got. Uh, have you ever heard of Malcolm Nance? You know who this guy is? Yeah, so mm -hmm. Malcolm Nance, I guess he was in the Navy, and then he became a mercenary in Ukraine, which, by the way, mercenaries in Ukraine are just American soldiers in Ukraine calling themselves mercenaries, but that's American boots on the ground. And don't think Russia looks at it any differently. That Russian combat power, really offensive power, is finished. I don't think Russia will ever be able to carry out anything of any significance over the next year. It doesn't matter if they bring up 500,000 mobilized men. All they are doing is just putting them into our sights, and that is why they are not carrying out a strike today. Putin is losing all of his capacity with to use precision weapons. That's on MSNBC, pushing the propaganda. So far, it seems like Putin might be getting the cheaper end of this war. Billions and billions of dollars we're throwing in. 
And he's supposedly out of ammo. If he's out of ammo, it doesn't matter. He's not out of ammo. The first report that he was out of ammo was from a year ago. He's not losing any ground. And he's not spending the money that we're spending. Yeah, but... I've got some theories on that here. Let me let me continue and I'll get to, I'll get to that. In Moscow's latest show of force, a Russian missile destroyed an apartment building and damaged seven more in the Donetsk region last night. Well, I guess Malcolm Nance isn't 100% right because that just happened. <laughs> so, yeah. Malcolm Malcolm Nance talking down the the capabilities of the Russians, I, I think to just keep keep everybody engaged, keep everybody in the fight. Yeah, I mean, it's, that's all it is. But they started that from the very beginning. Russia was going to, you know, they they didn't have the staying power. They were getting fought back. Remember, like, they had the magic carpet riding fighter pilot right. or whatever? All was, fictional. Like, the, and, he, and it was a fake hero that Adam Kinzinger was tweeting about, that he was, like, this guy that, like, dropped a hundred and you know, Russian jets out of the sky and it was all make believe. I mean, that's, yeah, here's the, you can't believe any of it. Here's the reality. Ukrainian tanks on the front lines are running out of ammunition. Commanders say stocks are so low. They now only shoot when they can see their enemy. By the way, the last report was on (laughs) MSNBC. This is all the way over at the competitor NBC. (laughs) They're a few floors away and they have the exact opposite story going on. That's not we use RT. as little ammunition as we can, but still, it's disappearing, says a battalion commander codenamed The Saint. Can you stop this Russian offensive? Now, we can only hold them off, he says, but nobody knows how long we can keep doing it. Their equipment is just too old. So we're sending them billions of dollars, but they're running out of ammunition and their equipment is really old. And uh, Putin has no offensive capabilities, but uh, the Ukrainians are just not sure how they're possibly going to stop these people. Well, did you hear what he said, though? The thing that I heard there was that they, they're they running so low on ammunition, they can't afford, they can only now shoot it when they can see their target. Right. <laughs> when they can see who they're sh- Maybe they should have been saving some of that ammo and stop firing it at stuff they can't see. And it's it's it is a it's a bloodbath. Here, one more clip on this. This is from France 24. A young soldier has been badly wounded in the fight for Bakhmut. And this is the fight that's going on right now. The soldier has been shot in the shoulder and taken shrapnel in his arms. The hospital often treats 50 to 100 wounded soldiers per day, depending on Russia's offensives. Yeah, because Russia's run out of ammo. They must be uh, wounding them with uh, sand I don't, or uh, throwing rocks at them. The Russians are trying to break through our lines in Bakhmut. They're trying to take the last access road to the city, but we're fighting back. We're holding on. This soldier, less severely wounded, will be sent away from the front for observation for several days. What the enemy is doing makes no sense. They're not going to win. That's what I think at least. They attack, we counterattack. So that's, I think, actually pretty close to reality on the ground from France 24. Uh, Russia is encircling Bakhmut, which has one access point left. And who knows how much longer that one will last. 
And and the other thing I gleaned from that is really Russia controls the tempo. They it just depends on what Russia does that day. So Russia's in control of this situation. Well, what I gleaned from that is France twenty four is just an outlet for RT and Sputnik <laughs> right. media. Spreading conspiracy and theories. They're just mouthpieces for Putin, and so are you. <laughs> okay. Well <laughs> uh, now let me tell you the propaganda that I am paid to spread to you. Uh, I'll tell you what I think this is all about, Jeremy. And I'm gonna play a clip that's gonna illustrate it, and then we'll talk about it. It is an unlikely place to find Ukraine's war effort in full swing. And this is from Sky News in the United States. In the bowels of a former railway plant, 5,000 miles from the battlefields, American steel workers producing round after round of artillery. We're on the production line of a century-old factory, an industry that had been dismissed as obsolete is now in overdrive. Well, one staggering statistic which illustrates the intensity of the war in Ukraine, the military there is firing off between five and 7,000 of these artillery shells every single day. And that's why the US military is investing $2 billion to ramp up production of facilities like these. This factory alone is getting $240 million to modernize. I am proud of what we do. Um, it's, it's exciting to be a part of it. The pre-Ukraine just-in-time supply chain is breaking down and stockpiles are shrinking. Put simply, it's a race against Russia to rearm. Beginning to get the idea? I think that what we're really doing is using Ukraine as a smokescreen behind which we are rearming for what is the real conflict to come which is the Cold War with China, possibly hot war. And we know that in a Cold War situation with China, we're going to lose a bunch of our manufacturing capacity. And you really need to figure out a way to ramp up your manufacturing capacity before you really are in a full Cold War with China. And a great way to do that is to have a different battle that requires you to build up your industrial capacity, your industrial manufacturing capacity. Jeremy, am I right? It's an astute observation. <laughs> and, uh, it's got you very excited. <laughs> you know, it, it, it makes a lot of sense. I, I don't know if that's the, the end all of it, but I think that uh, it's certainly... It's certainly something to take a look at i mean if they're going now to these factories that are you know have been sleeping forever and they're ramping them up then uh, if that's what they're preparing for is war with china i hope that we're prepared if we need to. we are not prepared and that's i, I think what this is about don't yeah think we are i right think now. this is about getting yeah. prepared you think about it really what you're doing is you're training machinists you're making sure that big equipment is in place it's not even so much for war production it is for just industrial production if we're in a cold war with china we lose our industrial capacity done all of our factories are the over there and then is right but then the question is would something like that 
actually happen? Are we really looking at a war Cold scenario war. with Cold China? War. Well, a hot war situation with them when right now they've got control over all of our corporations and they're all laughing their way to the bank and they can continue, you know, going down the path that they're on. What would be the point for having? Oh, because a war? I think that the goal of the path they're on is to destroy us, to to ruin us as a global power, to remove us from the stage, so that they can reshape the world in their image. That's their main goal. So yes, they do. They have their hooks in us in all these different ways, but they'll dispose of us as soon as it's uh, possible for them, because that's the real end that they're trying to achieve anyway. And frankly, I think that that's what our establishment has realized. I think the Cold War with China, Cold War III, that's why I call this the Cold War III update. I should have explained that. The first Cold War was between the United States and the Soviet Union. The second Cold War is ongoing in the United States. It's a cold civil war. And the third Cold War is between the United States and China. And I think everything you're seeing is the battle space prep, not for a hot war, but for a Cold War with China and a realignment of the entire global power system. Well, I think that's a good option. And they are ramping up the propaganda on China. Check out, check out this CNN report. CNN, you might have heard this story. Uh, this almost went under distraction of the week because everybody was talking about all of a sudden uh, the fighter the Chinese fighter pilot that was right off the wing of the Navy aircraft. And so, uh, but there's really, uh, it's, this is manufactured. Tensions are rising in one of the most hotly contested regions on the planet, the South China Sea. CNN got rare access aboard a U.S. Navy surveillance flight and saw firsthand some tense moments with China's military. This is a close encounter with a Chinese warplane filmed just off the wing of a U.S. Navy reconnaissance plane flying over the South China Sea. The Chinese fighter escort, part of a regular routine. I'd say it's another Friday afternoon in South China Sea. So it's very, this is something that's been going on forever. This is not new. It's just new now. They are ramping up and getting people ready for the Cold War. And by the way, this report is nothing if not woke. It is, I think the whole point of this is in addition to uh, preparing people mentally uh, and, and defining terms for people. It's also about uh, pushing the woke agenda because they are uh, uh, platforming, they are spotlighting a female pilot. Some 30 miles from the Chinese-occupied Paracel Islands, a Chinese voice crackles over the radio. American aircraft, this is the PLA Air Force. And they're progressive to the PLA. They've got uh, women running their show, too. You are approaching Chinese airspace. Keep a safe distance. All you be intercepted. PLA fighter aircraft. This is U.S. Navy P-8 on VHF-121-5. I hold you off my left wing, and I intend to continue to proceed to the west. She's got long hair and earrings in. Looks Looks... Not, uh, it's a very strange look for military. It does not look disciplined. I'm not sure that's the message <laughs> you want to send out to China. Probably an actress. Right. They, may, they were on a soundstage. That's exactly right. Yeah. Commodore Will Torreson shows the network of man made islands China built on what had been coral reefs claimed by other countries. Our number one focus here 
is to ensure that we have uh, continued access uh, alongside all of our allies and partners to international airspace and international waters. I mean, that's setting up the Cold War narrative right there. We're flying at a low altitude, a thousand feet, a little more than 300 meters above sea level, east of Taiwan, looking for a Chinese warship currently believed to be operating in these stormy waters. The plane spots a Chinese guided missile destroyer. U.S. aircraft, U.S. aircraft, Civil Chinese Navy warship. You are approaching me. Keep safe distance away from me. Over. I'm a United States military aircraft, and I will remain a safe distance from your unit. A cat and mouse game between two rival militaries in one of the most hotly contested regions in the world. One of the most hotly contested regions on the planet. I tagged that on at the beginning because they started their report the same way they ended it, uh, calling it the most hotly contested area on the planet. I think that what is shaping up, Jeremy, is a contrived and planned Cold War between the progressive communists in the United States and the communists of the uh, CCP in China. And I think that it is a gigantic game that they're playing to draw the curtain down on all of us. Yeah, that all sounded scripted to me. What I just said? What you just played. Because <laughs> that was you extemporaneous. Like a, <laughs> no, what you said. No, no, I can tell when you're reading a script. That wasn't a script. Yeah, no, good. they were definitely reading from a script. They, You could have replaced everything in there from China to the Soviet Union. That yeah. is there. The Cold War is on. It was like watching Top Gun or something. Like, you get out of our airspace while we shoot. Right, and then we were completely subservient. You know, if we really wanted to show some... I see you over there, Yankee. You move. We shoot. You get away from our ship. Maintain safe distance. Brand safe out the window again. (laughs) Now, I I think if we wanted to show strength, we wouldn't have responded at all. Her response was, we we see you. We're going to keep a safe distance. Sorry, sorry. Okay, we'll go the I know we went looking for you, but uh, we're going to go there. I just wanted you to know I'm a woman, and I'm in charge of this aircraft. (laughs) Was she triggered by having to speak to a male captain? Yeah. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is my Cold War 3 update. And I I need... We need... Cold War 3. Update. (laughs) That was good. Thank you. I like that. I like that. Well, did you see what else is going on? What else is going on in the world? Uh, well, it's going, going on in the world, but also here at home, or at least affecting us at home. It's one of those things I think that those distractions of the week are used for, which is taking our eyes off of the prize. Uh, this prize being the World Health Organization. Um, they have a meeting this week. Have you heard about that? This is this week? Uh, well. I heard news about the uh, the treaty that that is up. I didn't. I is that the is did they have a meeting about that? Is that the same well, thing? What are we talking about? You might call it a treaty. You could call it a treaty. They call it an accord. Okay. So we're talking about the same thing. I don't though. know what the difference is. Yeah, I don't know what the difference is. But um, yeah, there's a there's a World Health Organization accord that is being discussed and negotiated between all of the member states right now and i have a clip from the that tedros guy who's a he's affiliated with 
the Chinese government and an avowed Marxist who runs the World Health Organization. You saw a lot of him during the uh, COVID pandemic. This week, WHO member states are hosting discussions on amendments to the international health regulations. Next week, countries will begin negotiations on a zero draft of the new pandemic accord. The new pandemic accord and the zero draft, that's what they're talking about. So they're, they're negotiating the details of this new pandemic accord. These discussions will be crucial for building a more effective health security architecture for the future. A more effective health security architecture for the future. Grounded in international law, equity, and the fundamental right to health for all people. Grounded in international law and equity and a fundamental right of health for all people. So... I saw this and I thought it's worth looking into and there's hardly any coverage of it anywhere. In fact, the only place I found any real coverage of it was at Epic Times uh, in their print paper and in their uh, television show or whatever. Oh, that's it's how you know it's a conspiracy theory. Streaming. Ep- isn't Epic right? Times, they're just conspiracy theorists. They thought they thought well, that COVID came from a lab. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, I think Epic Times has some good reporting at times, but I'm also skeptical because it's a Chinese company. And uh, when I think about that, I'm like, okay, so is this? It's you got maybe. Oh, do you it's think like they're a, they're a, like got, a reverse honeypot, false front for the CCP? They pretend well, to be anti-CCP. Something, something to that effect, just like Fox News, you know, pretends to be pro-America. It's. I think it's quite possible that Epic Times is the same. It doesn't mean that all of their news should be discounted. It means it should be looked at critically. You might still be getting accurate information, uh, but it. You know, I think should be treated with some skepticism. Are they carrying the the clickbait and, on? Because the clickbait on that on that treaty is that we're giving up our sovereignty. That the World Health Organization during the next pandemic can basically just use the UN to take control of the United States. That's what they're saying. So here's a bit from their report. This is NTD, which is a, a, a subsidiary, I guess, of Epic Time. And we look ahead now to a meeting of member states of the World Health Organization next week. They'll be working towards signing off on a new agreement on pandemic policies. It aims to set in place measures that would increase efficiency, coordination and equality in the global response to future pandemics. But critics worry it could come at the cost of freedoms and other rights laid out by law in otherwise sovereign states. Following this story is Epic Times business reporter Kevin Stockland, and I spoke with him earlier today. Yeah, so the whole purpose of this agreement, uh, according to the preamble, is uh, because they uh, had a catastrophic failure during the COVID pandemic. And that catastrophic failure was not in terms of locking people down or forcing vaccines on them or closing schools. It was a failure of solidarity and equity. And so that's the whole purpose of this agreement. And what it wants to do is centralize authority uh, in, in the WHO to declare a pandemic. And once that pandemic is declared to uh, be in control of things like supply chain, um, information, treatments, medicines, things like this. So that sounds pretty bad that 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 would be the purpose of this agreement. And 
basically going on to argue for more erosion of state sovereignty, not just U.S., but for any member state of the WHO. But One Health is this is this very uh, is this concept that. Uh, the whose jurisdiction should not just be about viruses and pandemics that health includes things like climate it includes things like food it includes things like racism and so it broadens the the wait, jurisdiction what? Of, of what what <laughs> wait wait <Right>. what <laughs> so he's putting forth the argument that this is what the who is trying to accomplish through this not a treaty um and it's by the way, the who calls it not a treaty. Um, yeah, that it has to do with basically intertwining all of these other aspects of our existence under the umbrella of healthcare, giving them authority to dictate and place controls over the way member states conduct business uh, and responses to these types of events giving that control to the World Health Organization. I mean, is this, is this happening? This isn't happening. We would... This is what they're discussing this okay. week. Health means as far as the WHO. Now, as far as what, what surveillance entails, you know, th that is going to be hopefully worked out next week. But we're seeing things like vaccine passports that were, were just approved by the G20. And then they also have this concept of what they call social listening that they want all of the oh. member countries to engage in <laughs> to listening. monitor their populations and be sure that uh, no one is pushing what they consider disinformation disinformation That's, so, it's, they're so, going to target the goyim brigade oh yeah right <laughs> they're going to so. they're going to have their ear to the <laughs> they're social use ground the goyim brigade for something they're going to right use no they, they because they, have to, use, they because the goyim defense league is uh, creating an unhealthy situation because they could they they want to have racism be a part of it and so clearly they've been they're, they're going to pay attention to social media where these guys are fed where they grow and they're going to uh, they're, they're going to call in the what the un <laughs> i mean what are they going to do they're gonna, no they're going to use they're going to use the Goyam Defense League after nobody's seen them again for a few months and then they need a new vaccine rollout and they're going to have the Goyam Defense They'll League They'll be anti-vax, so that's right. right. No, they're going to be pro-vax and they're going to be demanding you know, that you're responsible for everybody's death. But here's the thing that I think is most interesting about this story and that's sort of how would this even happen because it's basically you know, right now they're suggesting that all that needs to happen to adhere to this policy uh, or this international agreement between states is Joe Biden just needs to sign something. The agreement uh, in and of itself was specifically drafted to go into effect without Senate approval. So the agreement itself was specifically drafted to go into effect without Senate approval. Who can make that decision at the WHO? Uh, well, maybe maybe we're there at the WHO helping them draft it in a way that that they don't have to get Senate approval for, con congressional approval for. 
It says as soon as this agreement is signed by Biden or whoever represents the members, it goes into effect even before any parliament or any Congress approves it. Now, the other question is, well, does this become the law of the land in the United States within our borders? Uh, treaties do require Senate approval. But uh, today, over the past 50 years, what's called executive agreements that can be signed by the president without Senate approval, um, they are now 90 percent of the international agreements that Good. are signed, not do treaties. It. They do not have Senate approval. You could include things like the Paris Climate Accord uh, and the Iran nuclear uh, deal. So good to me that that's the point here is that there are regardless of what it does, of what control it gives to the who. Because I'll tell you what, if even Joe Biden, if he signs this agreement and the who tells him to do something he or his handlers don't want them to do, they're not going to do it. Oh, I just, I hope it happens. I hope it happens. But we deserve it, Jeremy. <laughs> but this is about, this is, you know, this is just going under new precedent, which is basically that the Constitution has marked out how we enter treaties. And basically, we don't enter treaties anymore. We just have these executive agreements he says 90% of them, that's how we function right. you know with what, other though? countries. You, you get the, we just have the president decide. You get the lack of treaties you deserve, like when we declare man. war. Right. You don't have to declare war anymore. You just have an emergency, and uh, and you have a strategic military operation. But that's why I'm saying we you know, deserve and, it, man, because we've remained right. silent all these years. The only way that we learn is by losing, and we need to have the ramifications of these terrible decisions shoved down our throats so that the people rise up and demand enough. That's the only way. Well, that's if... If they if they jam it down our throats fast enough, because we tend to be like frogs in boiling water, just watching it all happen, and I think that's part of the calculation. Usually, there's uh, it, things happen slowly enough that nobody ever does respond. Okay, well, I want it quickly uh, with any type. Of, <laughs> yeah, right. But anyways, this is all stemming from COVID and and how things happened under COVID, and there wasn't equitable response and some countries vaccinated and some countries didn't vaccinate and you know uh, meanwhile they're saying that individual citizens shouldn't have the right to choose to vaccinate or not and you know pretty soon they're going to want to be vaccinating uh, all of our kids and all of our animals and you know they decide what we can do and when we can do it as it should be don't you think they know no. best I don't want it. Tedros knows best. It's amazing to me that we are, think about this, We're and, and maybe this is why this agreement will do nothing. What's going to happen when we are engaged in the Cold War? Everybody knows, I think it's pretty common knowledge, you said it earlier, Tedros is a stooge of China. Xi basically installed him, if I'm not mistaken. So China runs the World Health Organization. They're the one driving this. But if we're in a cold war with them, do they no longer are they no longer involved in the World Health Organization? Do we just carry on the brilliant work that they started? I, I think that's probably where this is going. Uh, but but in a in a cold war, they won't be a part of any agreement with us. I would imagine. Well, that doesn't matter. Like I said, they can 
they can all change their mind. They could adhere to it or not adhere to it. I Here's the thing. I, th- I started to try to read this zero draft document. I didn't have time. If anybody listening uh, feels this is important, I think it was important to talk about. Uh, I'm going to try to read through it. It's a 30-page document. It's easy to find online. It's called the Zero Draft of the World Health Organization, uh, Preparing for a Pandemic. Uh, you'll be able to find it, download it, read it. Uh, if anybody wants to help and actually see, verify some of these claims, because the only kind of coverage that I've seen outside of this is coverage that says it's been debunked. It's not true. Paging all yeah, active listeners, true. all active listeners. <laughs> right. Please respond. So you got a little homework this week. Homework assignment. This is a little ho- little homework assignment. Read the read the non treaty. For those of you with us, read the non-treaty and see what it actually says. Maybe somebody could highlight a few of the key points and whether or not this is something we should worry about. Well, since you mentioned COVID, we should talk about the COVID revelations. Did you... COVID yeah, revelations? The COVID, the COVID revelation that uh, the, the, the machine is now starting to conveniently admit that uh, COVID... Jeremy, strap in. You're never going to believe this. It's possible COVID might have come from a lab. There is new intelligence that's likely to rekindle the unsettled debate over the origins of COVID. The U.S. Department of Energy has concluded that it most likely came from a lab leak and not from an infected animal. That's Jim Acosta at CNN. And that what he just said is the narrative that everybody's talking about, that that uh, the government's admitting it, the government's admitting it. I don't hear anybody talking about this one little point he now goes on to make. But two CNN sources point out the department only backs this new assessment with, quote, low confidence. <laughs> so they uh, here is the uh, this is uh, Michael Gordon, who broke the story at The Wall Street Journal. Well, I say broke the story. His, the, the, his handlers gave him the story that he then published to The Wall Street Journal. Uh, again, my personal opinion. Don't sue Jeremy. What's new here is the Department of Energy has gone from an agnostic position saying they don't know where it came from to leaning toward the lab theory as we reported with low confidence. Michael, I guess one of the problems here is that uh, China has not exactly been very cooperative in helping uh, the U.S. or the rest of the world, for that matter, get to the bottom of this. Without that kind of cooperation, will we ever know with any kind of certainty where the virus came from? One thing, Jim, that I think is important is the American public really hasn't been told enough about this. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) let's pick that one apart for just a second. (laughs) I like Jim Acosta uh, setting up the narrative that, oh, it wasn't that we lied to you, America. It was the China lied to us. That's they're they're shaping the narrative. They're getting ready to shape the narrative, and then Gordon comes in with it's that America hasn't been told enough. Yeah, I, I'm sorry, Mr. Gordon. I think it's that America has been so thoroughly lied to. We've been told too much of the of the nonsense. Here's a. Uh, this is, oh, so you know they're they're on CNN talking about this. Here's CNN. A blast from the past in the uh, Trump press room. The woman that you said was a great doctor in that video that you retweeted last night said that masks don't work and there is a cure for COVID-19, both of which health experts say is not true. Yeah, so we were getting plenty of information from you, CNN, and it was nonsense. 
uh, masks don't work. That's now proven. There are now definitive studies out that show masks do not work. And there is a cure for COVID. It's called losing weight, getting vitamin D, and eating healthy, staying healthy. I mean, I guess it's not a cure, but it really is a, a, a great way to avoid a dangerous case of COVID. Uh, they didn't communicate any of that. All they communicated, the most important narrative throughout COVID was that Trump is evil and wrong and he's going to kill us all. That was the most important narrative. But why is this even coming out again? Because everybody knew, you know, that that it, or everyone, many people had suspected that it came from a lab in China. You weren't allowed to say that it came from a lab in China. And then there came a point in time when Jonathan Stewart went on a major rant about how it obviously came from a lab in China, which... You know, that was basically open communications telling everybody on the left it was okay to start saying it came from China. And I thought we were already there. So now we're there again where we're saying it seems to have originated from a lab, but we can't say for sure. The only thing I can see is that in the last couple of weeks, there's been more talk about our own bio labs existing in Ukraine. Hmm. Our bio labs in Ukraine. That sounds provocative, Jeremy. Maybe we shouldn't. Right. We shouldn't you talk know, about that. that. <laughs> let's not talk about our bio labs in, in Ukraine. Let's 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 talk about uh, let's let's talk about COVID again. <laughs> yeah, let's go back to China. It, we think it came from. Let's get everyone pondering. Well, that it did. Again, it did come from China in a lab where we were doing the where we were paying them for the work. It was designed by us and manufactured by them. No, I guess their question yeah. is, where did we design it? Did we design it in Ukraine? Maybe, I suppose. You know, yeah. all those labs, though, were labs that were originally Soviet Union labs in the Ukraine, in the Ukraine, excuse me, in Ukraine, the Ukraine, whichever, that we took over. So those were all Soviet labs. Not like we built those labs. They were there. Hmm. Now, what, we, what were we doing in them? I don't, I don't know. But I'm not really prepared to just take yeah. Putin's word for what we were doing in there. Although... Nobody in our government really uh, engenders much uh, benefit of the doubt. But let me tell you something, Jeremy, I have a surprise for you. I have a surprise. You and I could go back and forth and talk about this. But why don't we go to the source here with us now on the podcast, making his world premiere, Jeremy. He's never made himself available for any media until now. We're very lucky. No way. Ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together and give a warm welcome to the one, the only, COVID. No way. No way. You got him. Dr. COVID? We never called him doctor. Excuse me. We never called Mr. Siegel, I'm talking. When COVID is talking, you do not talk. You understand me? I never called you Dr. COVID before you were just COVID. Oh, he hung up. <laughs> Jeremy, you upset what? him. He hung up. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> if you give me a chance to talk. Oh, no. All right. Well, ha, I was really excited because we had COVID lined up for our, for our audience today. And Jeremy, I'm not blaming you. I'm just saying you questioned his, his status as a doctor. Now he's gone. We don't have him anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think he'll call back? I don't know. I huh. I don't know. Well, let's move on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> wow. 
Oh, well, I hope he, uh, maybe he'll call back. We'll see if he calls back. All right. Wow. Anyways. I I, I don't even know what to do. That's our first guest to walk off the program. It's our first guest. (laughs) Oh, no, it's not our first guest. No, that's right. We had had Major Master Mike. uh, English Master Mike. Major English Master Mike last week. Yeah. He didn't hang up on me. No, he was much more okay. pleasant to well, talk to. Uh, something must have technically gone wrong with COVID. We're going to find out. We're going to get him back. You want to talk about James O'Keefe while we're waiting? What do you got about James O'Keefe? Oh, there was a big update about James O'Keefe. What so happened? His, uh, his former organization, Project Veritas, they still exist. And they put out a video. And, uh, you know, people on the right were all very excited about this video. I saw one website that was, you know, uh, touting it as uh, Project Veritas begs James to come back. But I watched this video and I came away with it with a very, very different takeaway. To me, this video is, I think, sticking the knife further into James' back and twisting it. You listen to it and tell me what you think. We, the staff at Project Veritas, are at a crossroads. High-level disputes between our leader and founder, James O'Keefe, and the volunteer board of directors who are responsible for oversight of the nonprofit have resulted in James no longer being here. James is not only the founder of Project Veritas, but the creative visionary of our mission. This devastated us and the audience we exist for. James hasn't resigned, nor was he fired. These events confuse and they hurt us leaving all of us in a state of limbo. So we have a choice to make. We want James back, but we have a duty to our generous supporters, to all of you, and to our journalistic integrity. To break record stories which impact our culture, and most importantly, the future of our country. The board may have their obligations, but we are Project Veritas. James assembled this team of over 60 individuals who have bonded together in a common mission to expose waste, fraud, and abuse. We expose everybody. This band of journalists, editors, producers, and all staff are still here to ensure the work gets done. James taught us to move mountains. We know that evil exists. We fight it every day. We don't blame anyone for assuming the worst or thinking we've been co-opted by some outside force. But this fact still stands. No board or donor ever tells us what to report, and they never will. We will never replace James O'Keefe, but for now, we see it as our job to hold the torch for him while keeping the door wide open for his return. We will keep the spirit of James's mission alive for as long as we are able. We have investigations underway and stories to release. Our reporters are in the field. As James has always told us, content is king. Our visionary may not be with us right now, but the Project Veritas mission is vital. We will produce stories and break news until a day may come when we can't. Until then, we will keep this mission going for our country, for the truth and for James. We know the world is watching and that some are hoping that we fail. We need you to know that as the Project Veritas team, we don't want to see a Project Veritas without James O'Keefe. Due to decisions made outside of our control, it's possible we may never earn back the trust of this audience. But we owe it to all of you to try. 
So basically, we love you, James O'Keefe. We really wish you would come back where we're going to carry on without you, uh, even though you were just tossed out on your ear. It, to yeah. me, this is a, they're using the money James raised to produce an incredibly slick video stabbing him in the back while claiming to love him. Could, could they, this, yeah. is the, this is an indication of how hostile it is inside that shop towards James O'Keefe. These people, in, these undercover reporters who James assembled, if they do not speak up, there, then uh, I, I'm all for some of them that are going to remain quiet and hopefully record from inside of Project Veritas so that James can know everything that's going on there. So I, I've got some room for this. But man, if you remain there, for the most part, you're basically signing on to stabbing James in the back. It, totally. We will carry totally. on. It's our, you know, he, he hired us. They're basically saying we are James O'Keefe. Right. Yeah. I think it's a. I think your analysis is better. It's definitely not begging for him to come back. It's begging for everybody to keep trusting them. Basically, that what you saw here didn't really happen here, and there's nothing to see here. But I have a citizen sponsor for that. You do? Yeah. Second citizen sponsor. That's two. It Who is. Who's the second citizen sponsor? That's right. You said that there were two. The second citizen sponsor is Dave from Wisconsin. And this one might be hard to take. Uh-oh. James is nothing but controlled opposition. Don't know if he knows or is just blind to it. Don't care in the least. What is the talk of the day is irrelevant. You are still in the paradigm. Very interesting. Maybe he's right. He only reports on what they are willing to throw under the bus. This whole James thing reminds me of a soap opera. Seriously, don't waste your time on this story. It's what they want you to do. You should have told me that before we did the story. (laughs) I I might not have played the full clip. The poor guy, he's gone. He's not listening anymore. Dave, come back. (laughs) (laughs) We might have lost Dave after the last time we talked about James. I don't know. I I, I certainly feel like everything that I know of James personally, he's not willingly a part of controlled opposition. And I think Dave's saying the same thing. You know, he's Dave is saying, you know, I don't know if he he said uh, they uh, they say here. Don't know if he knows or is just blind to it. I mean, he's suggesting, I mean, he's saying James is controlled opposition. Maybe he knows it. Maybe he doesn't know it. He may be a willing participant. Hmm. He may not be. But that I think that's the interesting thing about what controlled opposition is, because controlled opposition doesn't mean you're a willing participant. Well, why take him out? Controlled opposition. Controlled opposition means you're uh, basically performing and functioning in a way that you know the puppet masters right. Want so you why to, take him out? Though they're if not he's controlled opposition, why master. take him out? 
He's controlled. Why would you need to take him out? He just had the biggest story of their career. So I think it's demoralizing to the people that love him. I think it's a demor. If if this is true, okay, and then it would be that this is a way to demoralize the people that love and follow James, or you know, really appreciate the work that he does because they think that it is of value. They don't think that it's controlled opposition and they think it's exposing everything that needs to be exposed. And so now that you just had your biggest story ever exposed, boom, we just cut your legs off. James is done with project Veritas. Everybody knows James isn't going away, but, and now we know the organization isn't going away, but now you need to know that the organization has had a hostile takeover. It's controlled by somebody else. James has to start over. And all you people that got excited about this guy in the pizza store flipping out and slamming James' iPad into the ground, uh, you know, we just, we got you. Yeah. Uh, listen, Dave, I cannot express to you sincerely enough how much I appreciate that you are an active listener and you wrote in. I think that you might be incorrect on this one. Uh, I think if he was controlled opposition, they would not have needed to move against him after this devastating hit against Pfizer. And I think that... um, I I, I, I just... I think that... uh, I mean, everything I know about James... He, the most that you could say, if you wanted to criticize what what James is doing, uh, insofar as it not being exactly what's presented to the public, it's a criticism you could make of any organization that that you know that that he's not in the business of of making these videos or breaking stories. He's in the business of raising money, and so in that case, you need to be cautious about what you're watching because his motivation at the end of the day is not breaking news. It's raising money. Uh, I don't, I, I, you know, I think the nature of raising money for any organization makes that at least partially true, but I don't know how you exist without raising money. So uh, I think James is authentically one of the most activated journalists I've ever met. Uh, I think he, he lives for it. So if he's controlled opposition, it is definitely not his knowing. That's my thinking. I, yeah, I don't. I definitely think if he if if it's a hundred percent within the realm of possibility that Project Veritas at this point is controlled opposition and may have been for a period of time. If James is by being part of that, I don't think it's in a willing form. It almost lends me to think that maybe he did have some, you know, some deeper interest actually in leaving the organization. If he knew that he didn't have uh, right. control. We talked about it that, 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 that it, it, it's that the idea that, uh, that James might have, very well orchestrated you, the the drama that unfolded because it gave yeah, him the, the lift up could, he needed. And you could possibly make an argument that the stories that James is going after with like, you know, say like Twitter, Facebook, or this one with Pfizer, that those are responses to the stories that are dominating the news coverage. And so he is he's responding to those stories and that those are stories that they want everybody talking about. And so in that sense, 
you know, potentially could call it controlled opposition. Um, but it, I have to say, I, I do thank you for the comment, Dave, because it just it wasn't really something I thought about. I mean, we know James and think he does good work, and uh, I think it's it's worth it to to sort of you know consider the possibility. Um, or at least to look deeper at sort of how his organization is functioning at this time mm-hmm. and may have been for a while. Uh, I know that Andrew Marcus is probably also controlled. <laughs> I know that we're, we're too close to James. <laughs> we're too close to James. It's actually, it is very good, just to echo you, it is very good that, that we have a, a an active listener who is uh, willing and able to uh, give us a different perspective. Um, oh. Well, in honor of Dave, let's let's move on <laughs> and not talk anymore about James right now. Thank you, Dave. Uh, did you see the the story about the Asbury revival? Yes. So, in at Asbury University in Wilmore, Kentucky. Uh, they started a religious revival that st- it started on February 8th and it went on for about two weeks. I believe that went on 24-7 for two weeks, and it's not the first time that this has happened there. It wasn't 24-7. It wasn't. No, they they did at some point close down at night, and people went home and slept. And but stuff all like day that. long, but, this was happening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What an, what an amazing yeah. experience that has to be. Uh, to, uh, just think about just being, forget religion, the harmonic experience of being in a room where everybody is singing together in unison that way for that long has to be meditative well we get together every week with our local church and we sing sometimes a few times a week and when the uh when the body is is really singing and and really in the spirit you can definitely you can definitely uh get a sense of yeah well you know who wasn't sometimes people sometimes people too carried away, uh, I think, and it, and can be deceived. Well, I, you know, I, I don't, I certainly don't know enough of what's going on there to tell you that, but I can tell you who was not on board, and that was the media. New at 11, state health officials announced a case of measles was identified in Jessamine County. Officials say the person who is unvaccinated went to the spiritual revival of Asbury <laughs> University's campus on February 18th. The commissioner of the Kentucky Department for Public Health says anyone who attended the revival on that day may have been exposed to measles. He says attendees who are unvaccinated are encouraged to quarantine for 21 days and to seek immunization with the measles vaccine. Three cases of measles have been confirmed in Kentucky. Over the last three months. So they wow. used the religious ceremony to sell some vaccines <laughs> for three cases of measles in the entire state. In three months. <laughs> in, the ent- in the entire state. <laughs> uh, this is this is their marketing the vaccine. That's it. They're, this is measles va- vaccine well, marketing, marketing using bigotry. 
They're marketing vaccination in general. And the narrative that religious people are risky and unhealthy to be around because they make those crazy religious decisions. Family practice physician Dr. Jeff Fox says that this is the first case of measles he's dealt with in years. I've been practicing for about 40 years, and in the last 35, I don't know that I've seen, uh, you know, I, uh, a, a case of measles. Maybe I can count them on my one hand. The concern of Fox and the rest of Jessamine County is how fast the disease can spread. It could go from three to four people. And with Asbury's revival <laughs> facilitating thousands of people, the event could become a super spreader. A super spreader. What? Oh, you, you must avoid religious events they're super spreaders but fox says with proper vaccination measles can be avoidable if you're exposed and are vaccinated the your risk is is small uh, again pay attention to symptoms uh but you're pretty good protected if you're vaccinated for individuals who do contract measles he says that it's not typically fatal typically you get over it okay you you, you supportive care fluids tylenol and time that's typical Wow. <laughs> so it's it's not even a it's not even dangerous for the most part. Yeah. Uh, I wonder uh I wish COVID was I, I'm here still trying to get him talk about that. I'm still trying measles. to get him I'm, I'm still trying to get him back on. The uh here I'll, I'll I'll try and get him back on while you listen to this. Listen to this. So it's it's so rare as uh, uh dr jeff fox said on wcsc uh it's it's so rare only uh here's a report from 2019. well tonight we're learning just how problematic the illness has been this year officials say it is the worst measles outbreak they've seen in years the centers for disease control and prevention reports 159 measles cases since january 1st in the united states those cases have been found here in kentucky california colorado connecticut georgia illinois new york oregon texas and washington the cdc says measles is highly contagious but a two-dose vaccine is 97 percent effective against the virus the disease was eliminated in the U.S. in 2000, but is found in many other countries, which is how the current outbreak started. Oh, okay. So not only is this not new, we know where it's coming from. I can't imagine what might have set the conditions by which measles and other uh, communicable diseases might have started uh, uh, profligating across the country. What could it have been? The border being wide open? Perhaps. All right, I think I have. I'm going to try. I have to call him. Let's see. Hello? Who is this? Uh, yeah, COVID. This is Andrew Marcus again with Jeremy Siegel. We're calling you from uh, the Truth Bait Podcast. Oh, have you, got your, have you guys got your technical situation under control? You guys hung up on me. I've never been so embarrassed in my life. Talking about it, you hung up on us. Uh, no, I just remember you insulting me as though I wasn't a doctor. I am a doctor. I'm not a medical doctor. I just I have the same degree that Joe Biden has. I'm a, I'm a, I have a doctorate in education, but I'm a doctor. I'm, I'm just as much of a doctor as she is. Who are you? Well, I'm not a doctor. Did you hear COVID? Uh... 
about the measles outbreak? Oh, measles. <laughs> Why are you going to waste my time with measles? Measles. They're talking about it on the news. They're talking about it. They're not, they weren't talking about COVID. Oh, uh, it's about measles. Okay, now you're trying to hurt me. Okay, let me tell you something. I'm not afraid of any naturally occurring disease. I was manufactured in a laboratory. Don't you understand? Nothing can touch me. Measles. No, I'm not concerned about the measles. Are you worried about the measles? You have kids. I'm not worried about the measles, but I am wondering if it starts to become a bigger problem. If everyone's going to be talking about it. No, no, no. It's going to dominate the news coverage for a while. No, 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 no. Trust me. As the Cold War ramps up, all you're going to be talking about is COVID and where it came from. That's all you're going to be talking about. COVID, I'm not going anywhere. COVID's here forever. I'm here forever. Get used to me. Well, Jeremy, I, I don't know. I think you kind of antagonize him. Well, we've talked before, and I could see like he got a little jealous when people were talking about the vaccine all the time, and it was taking attention away from him. I'm not jealous. Shut your mouth. I'm a little jealous. I see, he's, he, he does sound. He upset. sounds a little jealous. He gets upset. <laughs> Hey, Doctor COVID, have you been have you been following the news that uh, that that you leaked from a laboratory? Nope. Next question. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Why doesn't he want to talk about it? <laughs> Wait. Well, COVID, can you at least? Uh, sorry, Doctor COVID, can you at least confirm or deny the reports? Well, why don't you ask uh, Rand Paul? He argued with my dad about it in public. It was a big fight. He had it in Congress. Ask him. <laughs> Wait a second. Are you confirming that Anthony Fauci is your father? Duh. We even look alike. Wow, this is breaking news, Jeremy. <laughs> COVID, I feel badly for you. Uh, to, to watch your father deny that he's your father repeatedly. He denied that he was your father. Yeah, I'm a little bit like Joe Biden's youngest grandson. No stocking for me at Christmas. Well, COVID, it's not that bad. I mean, they acknowledge you exist. Yeah, you're right. I'd rather be COVID than son. Yeah, and they worship you to some extent, so. As you should. I'm everywhere. I can do everything. Haven't you heard? I'm responsible for everything. Dr. COVID, have you heard about the new vax that, that's coming out? It's a nasal vax. Yeah, I caught wind of that. It's a joke. Well, hang on. Let me let me let me read you an article. I got to pull this up. I wasn't expecting to get into this argument. Hold on. Uh, yeah, from Daily Mail. Finally, a vaccine to banish COVID for good. Nasal spray reduces risk of infection eighty six percent, nearly double the protection protection of a shot by the arm. <laughs> Did you hear that? Eighty six percent is nearly double. The shot in the arm? So the shot in the arm is only 40% effective? Is this the first time you're hearing that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead and trust them. I'm sure the nasal vaccine is wonderful. It'll work out just as well, I'm sure. Well, he does raise, he raises a good point. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. I don't know. Maybe that's... Hmm? I'm not getting a nasal vaccine or a shot in the arm. Yeah, but I'd rather just deal with COVID. Well, I, I, if a nasal uh, injection could beat COVID, I think that would be a really good thing. <laughs> beat, beat COVID. 
beat COVID. Are you kidding me? You guys are never going to beat COVID. I, like I said, I'm here forever. I was designed in a laboratory. I'm bionic. <laughs> <laughs> well, are you are you are you worried about bird flu? Are you threatened about bird flu? I mean, Jeremy mentioned. I mean, like you know, people are talking about you know different diseases now: measles and 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 bird flu. What being I'm afraid of getting bird flu? No, no, no. Being overshadowed by bird flu. Uh, yeah, I'm not really worried about it. Well, here, let me let me let me play a report. This is hmm. Which cue is this? Oh, I've got it. Here's the cue. You're gonna uh, COVID. Just listen to Doctor COVID. Listen to this. A highly contagious avian flu is infecting birds all over the globe. Here in the U.S., farmers have lost or had to kill over 58 million birds to try and prevent the virus's spread. So far, this flu hasn't caused any serious threat to humans. But as William Brangham reports, there are several new outbreaks that are raising some alarm. Thanks, Amna. Over the last two years, the spread of this strain, known as H5N1, has been largely limited to birds. But now, two particular outbreaks, one among farmed mink in Spain and another among wild sea lions in Peru, suggest that H5N1 might now be able to spread between mammals. I don't know, Dr. COVID. I mean, that sounds like he, like bird flu might be giving you a, a, a run for your money. Not a chance. Let me tell you something about bird flu. Like I said, it's naturally occurring, okay? It has boundaries. It do, does it have a fern cleavage site? No, I have a fern cleavage site. Oh, it, oh it's making its way to humans. Do you, have a, do you have a single example of a human death? Do you have one example? Oh, <laughs> Dr. COVID, I actually do have an example of a COVID death. Hang on one second. Health workers in Cambodia disinfected a home in the country's south on Thursday after a girl who lived there died from so-called bird flu. It's the Southeast Asian nation's first known human infection of the H5N1 avian influenza since 2014, according to its Minister of Health in a statement. It said the 11-year-old from Prevang province was diagnosed with bird flu after falling sick with a high fever and cough on February 16. Well, Dr. COVID, that's the, that's a death. The bird flu has claimed a victim. Oh, 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 I see. One person in Cambodia. Let me tell you something. I saw that report. They live in a mud hut. So, they, a lot of people live in mud huts. Are you, that's, you sound a little judgmental. I'm not judging them. I'm saying they live with their chickens. Millions of people living in filth. And bird flu manages to take out one kid, rookie numbers. Talk to me when Big Bird takes out an entire New York State retirement community in a weekend. Can't you see you're all being played, moving from one crisis to the next, always afraid. It's your media and government. They're controlling you with fear. Now I gotta go. There's a whole bunch of MLB players that just got boosted for spring training. I'm gonna go down to Arizona and catch a few games. All right. Well, have a have a good time in Arizona. I hear it's very nice there. Wow. I'm glad he's leaving Ooh, Wisconsin. And he just hung up on us. All right. All right. Well, that was COVID. You have it. Don't be scared of bird flu, according to COVID. Wow. Oh. 
I don't know if I want to talk to COVID again. <laughs> he doesn't sound very nice. He's he's very impatient and he's egotistical. He's crazy. You know what that music means, Jeremy. I think we've come to the end of our longest podcast on record. At least five minutes too long at the end. I want to thank our producers, Dan in Wisconsin and Dave in Wisconsin. And thank you to our listeners, passive and active alike. Remember to listen every Tuesday and every Friday without fail. We will be here. And so will you. Didn't you want to add your line there, Jeremy? Coming Jeremy? in for the landing? No, the, the we'll be here Tuesdays and Fridays when uh, to the best of our ability. Oh. I always sell up sell the idea that we're never going to miss, and then you hedge for yeah, us. to the best of our ability. Yeah. And remember to share the show, everybody. Share the show. And now back to the sea of clickbait with you all. Did. <laughs> it was very good. It was long. Too long. Well, we had everything to get through. I don't think there is such a thing as too long. People can listen for as long as they want, and then they can stop, and then they can come back to it.